Hey, welcome to the 268th episode of the Random Podcast from Heck. My name is Tony, and this is a podcast about random things in the world of entertainment, which includes movies, TV shows, comic books, and music. <laughs> big shout out to Dave McPhail and Andrew Loken. They are big supporters of the show. You can be a supporter by going to patreon.com slash jmanfromheck. Any amount you can commit to will be awesome. If you commit to the Rick Jones tier or higher, you get access to the secret podcast from Heck, which is an additional 30 minutes of podcast entertainment every single week. Sometimes I talk about movies. Sometimes I do like an off my mind, random topic, just like focus, trying to keep things contained. And often I talk about old, crazy, classic comics. And I, I've been currently doing like some Batman comics from the 1960s, like I'm 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 really interested in like the Kathy Kane Batwoman stories and just you know we had Batmite we had Ace to Bathound we had Batgirl so I'm really curious about that unfortunately they they're not all contained on the DC um, Infinite app there's just like kind of random but there's some, some some amazing stories in there but if you can't commit to a monthly commitment you can also help out by going to coffee.com/slash gman from heck and you can buy me a virtual cup of coffee or four. That is ko-fi.com slash gman from heck. And I could use all the help that you, you can spare. Any any Anything will be awesome. All right, this week, what is going on this week? Uh, it, it feels like it's another another crazy, another crazy too. So much. This is going to be a long episode already. I know it. I'm, I'm just starting and I'm like, oh man. So, you know, we have a regular Rick and Morty. Rick and Morty, this is uh, the final one for a six-week break, which is going to kind of ease some burden on me. I know that's horrible to say because I should be craving the new content, but it's like when it comes all at once, it needs to be spread out more. So Rick, Rick and Morty be taking a break. I'll talk more about that later. Uh, House of Dragon, that's just a crazy week after week. It's I yes, I'm so it's it's so bizarre watching that, but I'll get into that. Uh, the, the patient, we're, we're winding down with that new Chucky, new Star Girl season finale of She Hulk. There's definitely some stuff to say about that. Another uh, Star Wars Andor, and then um, Werewolf by Night. So I know that came out. The last Friday, not this past Friday to Friday before, but that was kind of like the cutoff for me because, you know, I wanted to watch that. It was last week Hellraiser, I think. Yeah. And then uh, this week's movie feature is Halloween Ends. And I, def- I definitely have things to say about that. Did I love it? Did I not love it? You'll find out. All right. So this week, let's get into the news. It's a uh, I'm going to let's talk about I, I mentioned music earlier. So big, crazy news. So this one. When, when was this? Was this? Now I don't even remember. I think it was Monday. It was Monday or Tuesday. I'm just drawing a blank now. And I get up in the morning. I always check my emails. Is there anything crazy happening? Get an email from Blink-182. I love Blink-182. Love Blink-182 since, since the 90s. And and I, I have to say, they're probably my favorite band now. It's just it just kind of happened or something about it. And part of it is like the nostalgia thing, like going back, just you know, such you know, it's cool fun times and everything. And you know, then we I, I saw them in concert once. You know, after like two, I think it was two thousand six, after they reunited when they first broke up and they got back together. And then uh, when Matt Skiba joined the band because you know Tom DeLonge left. Matt Skiba from Alkaline Trio. I love Alkaline Trio. I mean, Alkaline Trio is like borderline. Like I have so many like favorite bands, 
but I've seen alkaline trio so many times since I've moved to San Francisco and it's just, it's, and it's great because, you know, they have some roots in the Chicago area. So it's, it's great to see them out here. And so I, I loved, you know, Matt, Mark Hoppus and Travis Barker when, you know, their Blink-182, they put out two amazing albums. I have such like great memories with those albums because my, my daughter, you know, driving her to school, driving her friend's house, we listened to like California so many times and we were just singing the songs, top of our lungs and everything. Great, great times. And then it's like, okay, well, they, they put out California to put out nine, love the albums. And, you know, with, with Matt, cause you know, Matt is in a stat and I'm not, now <laughs> I'm starting to talk too fast now because I'm getting so excited. I'm so passionate about this. So a lot of people unfortunately gave Matt like such a hard time because he wasn't Tom. Tom wasn't in a band. He, that, that, that's just how it was. He didn't, didn't want to be in it. You know, long story. We won't get into it. And Matt is is an accomplished musician, you know, songwriter, guitarist, singer, and and he's a perfect fit. And for me, it was like the best of both worlds. I love Blink-22. I love Alkaline Trio. So let's combine them. So like, what, what's going to happen with the new album? Don't know. Everything. Get an email. Tom's back. Tom is back in the band. And I was just like, what? And then tour. I've been wanting to see them on tour. I almost, they, they did like a reunion tour for Enema to State. But when they played it, and, and I was like, I was like, man, I got to take my daughter to see them because you know we just all you know just singing so into all the music, not just California, but like the old albums too. When they played in San Francisco, they only played it at the Golden Gate Park Festival Music Festival, which is like a ton of bands, and it's like it's it's super expensive to get in, and it's like it wouldn't be like a full set. I was like, no, I want you to play here, but they didn't do a regular show in the in the San Francisco Oakland area. San Jose, you know, whatever, Sacramento. So we didn't get to see him. And then COVID happened. And then, you know, there was no shows. So I was like, man. But then they're, they're playing. I was like, oh, geez. So first of all, crazy news for me. Tom's back. I love Tom. I love Matt. I love definitely love Mark and Travis. So it, this was great. And for me, a perfect world, it would be four, four people in the band. And Matt would still be there. But we got the trio. They're, they're back together. And then tour dates so they did a pre-sale so i, I had to get t- uh, i got tickets my, my daughter and i are going next june <sighs> so that that's a that's crazy news the crazy news that that blink is tom is back in blink it's it's the three again and again no 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 disrespect to matt at all and tom actually wrote like a nice message to matt and then he they posted it public because he feels like everyone should see this because you know, he was like, you know, Matt, you, you've always been good to me. You've been, you know, nice and, and you know, pr- privately or whatever and, and publicly in the press and everything like that. And he's like, the band wouldn't even, you know, probably wouldn't have survived if it wasn't for you. You came in like, you know, took over and saved, you know, uh, all the stuff. So it was, it was a very sweet message. Yeah. So, so that, that's that, that, that crazy news. So I thought I'd mention I don't normally talk music. But there's that. The other big music thing, while I'm opening this music uh, section, because it's random things in the world of entertainment. This is entertainment. This Friday, <laughs> all right, it, it should. It's probably already on your your calendar, right? Friday, October twenty first, midnight's Taylor Swift album. It's out. I'm I'm excited about that as well. Really excited about that. Now, as far as regular entertainment, so hopefully you didn't mind that <laughs> little little segue. Uh, different thing. So one thing that came out last weekend that just missed a cutoff for for my whatever 
Wednesday, the Wednesday trailer, Wednesday Adam. So we, we have the new new show coming out in November. I'm I'm really interested in this. I'm really excited to to see this. You know, Tim Tim Burton's directing it and, and everything. I was never like a big Adams Family fan because I was always more Munsters. You know, I was Team Munsters versus Team Adams Family, even though both shows were up before my time. But watching, you know, in the syndication, I don't know what it was. You know, nothing against them, and it shouldn't have been. Didn't have to be one or the other. I don't know if it was a big thing. It's kind of like you know Star Trek or Star Wars, and of course it's Star Wars. No offense, uh, but I don't know if there was that debate. But that's kind of how it was for me, and I, I don't know what it, why I didn't give Adam's Family. Like I watched some episodes, but I definitely watched way more, you know, repeats, reruns of the Munsters than Adam's Family. And with the the live action movies, I don't even think I've seen those. The the ones with Christina Ricci, it's just it, I think they came out at a time where it just it kind of wasn't for me, you know, whatever. And, and I didn't have that nostalgia factor to want to go out and see it because I wasn't like super duper into him. But I am I am into this. So I am Jenna Ortega. I, I think she's she's a, a great actor and I, I can't wait to see what how this comes out. And the the kind of big news that, you know, Fred R. Armisen, he's going to be Uncle Fester. And they also revealed in this trailer uh, Christina Ricci's role. So if you're not sure... You can go to entertainmentfish.com and I posted a trailer there. I don't know. I really need to post more news, but teaching all day just drains drains me. <laughs> the kids suck the life out of me. They're <laughs> so exhausting, but they're great kids. Uh, so you can watch that trailer because it came out, I think it was like on a Saturday and I was like, oh, this, this is cool. So I won't spoil that. Of course, you can go to YouTube also and watch it, which is what I have it embedded from, but you can go to Entertainment Fish give my website another page click give the article page click view all, all that stuff anyways so we have that kingdom of the planet of the apes production has started so it started shooting in australia so that that'll be i'm i'm really interested to see how it's going to compare and what what more is there to the story because with the last one it was good but it was almost like it was too much and it's like you know, things got really intense. I didn't like all the, you know, death of monkeys and fighting. We'll, we'll have to see where, where it's going to go. Marvel news. I usually start with Marvel, but I didn't this week. That's okay. So Blade has been delayed. The Marvel decided, okay, we're, we're going to push back. It's not a bad thing. You know, for various reasons, they had to get a new director. So the, the director, uh, I'm sorry, I forgot his name. He had to step down because it's conflict, conflicting, whatever. He has something else, another commitment. But he's still going to be like a producer. So it, it's not like, like oh, you're fired. It's just like, sorry, I, I can't do this because I already committed to this or whatever. You got to make, you know, you got to make choices. So Blade, as they, you know, they search for a new director and everything, they're, it's good. Don't rush it and cram it, you know, try to pump it out. Let's let's take some little time. There's, it's not a not a big deal because he just moves stuff around. So Blade is going to be coming out on September 6, twenty twenty four. So it's two years from now. Deadpool three is going to be November eighth because I think, I think the September six might have been the Deadpool date. I I, I can't keep tra- all this stuff straight. So Deadpool three now is November eighth. 2024 fantastic four has been pushed it's not even coming out in 2024 which is too bad because you could have had the four they could have done try to do something clever with it but it's going to be 
February 14th. So you got the four right in the middle there. So I guess they can try to be clever with that. February 14th, 2025. Holy crap, 2025. It sounds like it's so far off, but it's not. And uh, Avengers Secret War is going to be May 1st, 2026. Um, but King Dynasty is still May 2nd, 2025. So I think originally the two movies were like six months apart. But now they're going to be like a year apart. Like they kind of almost sort of used to be, weren't they? So I think that'll be good. You know, give it more time. Whatever. So, uh, I, that, so I'm all excited about all of that. Speaking of, <laughs> of uh, Deadpool. So TJ Miller had some things to say about Ryan Reynolds. Cause, so TJ Miller, as, as you may know, was in Deadpool. He was Weasel in Deadpool 1 and 2. And he was, I think he was on a podcast or he was on something and he's, he's like, he's like, yeah, Ryan Reynolds, and I probably never going to work together again. And, you know, so of course you see that headline. It's like, Oh, what, what Ryan Reynolds is, he's like the nicest guy. Everyone loves Ryan Reynolds, except for this guy. I know rich for some reason, rich shaking. I'm sh- I'm shaking my head. You can't see everyone loves Ryan Reynolds, except for rich. No, he kind of, he doesn't, he, 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 I guess he, he doesn't not like Ryan Reynolds. You know, I don't, he, he just doesn't love him, but he kind of likes him maybe. So TJ Miller is talking about Ryan Reynolds and he, he describes this, this scene that, you know, how everyone thinks that Ryan is, is such a good actor and all, all this stuff. But he, he kind of said it that Ryan like sets, it's almost like it was a demeaning thing. Like he, he kind of like made him redo a take or something, or there's there like some little, little whatever thing. And he's like, I, he just doesn't like me. He, and so what? What the way T.J. Miller said it wasn't like mean or anything. It wasn't saying that Ryan Reynolds was like a horrible person or anything like that. He's just said that he didn't like him. Which uh, there's you know there's been some news not semi recently but kind of recent whatever about T.J. Miller and you know whatever that's a whole other thing. But then it came out apparently they they made up. And then he's like, oh yeah, he's like, oh it's it's he's it's a bummer that that people took that and kind of ran with it. So I think it was kind of taken out of context a little bit, but that's the thing. You say something, you put it out there, it's out there forever. So, you know, you, you got to watch out what, what, you, what you say, I guess. And um, yeah, so I guess, I, I don't know if he's going to be in, in Deadpool 3, but apparently they, they've kind of smoothed some th- things over. Um, what I thought was interesting, Brendan Fraser so Brendan Fraser, I, I love Brendan Fraser. I love Encino Man <laughs> and The Mummy. Uh, I don't know if I've seen all the Mummy movies, but he talked about the Tom Cruise Mummy movie. Oh my gosh, that movie. I saw that fairly recently, like in the last... I, I watched it. I, I talked about it on a secret podcast episode. So it must be in the last like five years or something. I didn't see it when it came out. It's surprisingly, there's a lot of Tom Cruise movies that I have not seen which is crazy. I don't know how that's possible. Well, I guess maybe. But so I, I fairly recently saw The Mummy and I talked about it on, on an episode of, of The Secret Podcast, which you can listen to. I, I sometimes feel like I should change my, my structure on that. But anyways, you can you can access it, become a, a patron. So not a good movie. And, you know, they're supposed to do this whole dark universe franchise thing. And did that movie kill the franchise idea? Maybe. But basically, so Brendan Fraser, he seems like such a super nice guy. 
So he's not going to say, oh, that movie was horrible and that movie killed, you know. Basically, he said that the, the movie just, it didn't have, like, the fun factor. Not that it wasn't a fun, like, you didn't have fun watching it, but the movie, it was trying to be more, like, scary horror and stuff like that. And he, he feels that, like, those movies should have, like, amp up the fun and, and just the crazy situations and, and stuff like that. I mean, if you watch the movies, you know exactly what he's talking about. And he said, you know, he, that's not an easy thing. You know, we tried to do that. And, and I, th- I think they were successful. But he was kind of saying that that was missing from him. And, you know, maybe that's the case. I, I totally get, you know, you're, you're calling this dark universe. I think that's what it was, right? Is that what I said? I don't even remember now. But it, it's like they were kind of taking it too seriously. And it just, it, it, it's a movie about a friggin' mummy. And not, not that it has to be campy or anything like that, but I don't know. You, you got to be careful, I guess. It just It's all about the execution and stuff, and it just didn't quite work out. Uh, let's see. Colin Farrell had mentioned some stuff about The Penguin. So we got that The Penguin show, if that's what they're even calling it. So it's a spinoff of The Batman, the movie. So we have this Penguin show coming to HBO Max, and... He he kind of mentioned that because before I think it was kind of believed that this was going to be maybe a prequel, like how did the penguin come into power in Gotham City and everything like that. But now it sounds like it's taking it's picking up like a week after the last movie. After um, is it a spoiler if if I say something like has everyone like seen the Batman now because it's been out like forever? It's on HBO Max. It's out on on Blu-ray. Uh, anyways, so boom at the end, whoosh, water flooding, you know, Gotham. <laughs> so it, it's that's still happening, and because I, I guess he he mentioned in the script that you know like the penguins like stepping ankle deep in water or something, whatever. So it's interesting. It's, it's taking place after that. So and there's no no release date, no idea when that's coming out, and I think that's a good thing. You know, just give yourself some leeway obviously you want to stick to a timetable, you know, don't dilly dally too much, but don't say, Oh no, we got to get this out by, you know, December 2nd. And then, you know, it just gets to be garbage when you rush it. We'll have to see. Um, Dune, speaking of HBO max, there's going to be a Dune. So Dune two is, is still filming, you know, and all these actors being added, blah, blah, blah. I can't keep track of all that, but they're doing another spinoff show this is i've seen this like all over the news dune the sisterhood it they cast indira varma who is that you may know she was tala in uh, obi-wan and I, I guess she was also in um game of thrones which i don't think i've seen her character in there because I, I i don't even know where how far i'm in game of thrones i think i'm in i'm in season three or four I, I need to someday. I'll, and the people are like, don't don't finish it. But I'm curious. I really want to, want to see. Um, speaking of Game of Thrones, George R. R. Martin, uh, he thinks that House of the Dragon needs like four seasons. He's like four seasons would would, would be good. He seems to be very pleased. He you know he's praising the show with how how, how it's it's been going and everything. He he brings up a good point. The man, the dude that, that plays the king, Viserys. Oh my goodness. This, this week's episode, he is such, such a crazy performance. Such, such a good performance. I mean, uh, you'll, you'll hear about that later. But, wow, it's a crazy show. <laughs> um, a show that I liked, The Man Who Fell to Earth, uh, it's not getting a second season. And, honestly, 
I can't say that I'm surprised. I feel like, I don't know. I mean, I feel like people weren't talking about it. I never saw it like mentioned in, in anything, you know, not that I'm like all over the social media because I'm just too busy teaching and trying to just barely stay afloat. But I don't know if it's because it was on Showtime and, you know, because there's like this Kevin Bacon Showtime show that I've been meaning to watch. I can't even remember what the name of it is. And I don't know if anyone's been talking about that because it's on show. Do people watch Showtime? Now that Showtime is is uh, combined with Paramount Plus, hopefully that's going to add a little more um, high spotlight on it. So you can watch The Man Who Fell to Earth. I highly recommend it. Um, Chidwell... What's I always forget his name. Uh, Baron Mordo is 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 in the man who who fell to earth, and Jimmy Simpson is he is oh my gosh he's he is so despicable in this movie he's so good. So the man who fell to earth, it, it kind of has a, like a special place for me because it's if you you know it's based off of the book the original movie. There's a movie from the seventies. David Bowie was in the movie. Amazing performance by David Bowie, and I love David Bowie. And this show takes place like what is it, thirty years later or something like that. So it it's like in the continuity of the movie and everything like that. It, it was it's great performances and, and everything, and and just crazy the, the way things just amped up and just played out and all that. The way the season ended, I, I could see it that that was the ending. But I'm I'm really curious where the heck is would this go after that, and so I'm, I'm bummed that we're not going to get to see that. I guess originally, you know, that there was always like supposedly what they say, and I want to believe them, but supposedly it was always meant to be like like a one season, like a close ended story. As they were kind of doing it, they I guess they flirted with the idea of like, hey, maybe we could do a, a second season or anything like that. But then no specific reason was given why. I'm wondering if it just it didn't catch on and they're like eh. but that's that's too bad because uh that that could have been that could have been cool and um the last bit of news which is so not a lot of news this week but you got that like seven five minutes bonus of music picard season three trailers out and i i'm always like kind of like hot and cold with, with this I, you know, as as I kind of joked earlier, I'm not the biggest Star Trek fan. You know, I have an appreciation for the original Star Trek. You know, I watched some of those old episodes uh, on you know syndication, and um, I watched a lot of Next Generation. I saw watched some of Voyager. I watched some of Enterprise. I never watched Deep Deep Space Nine for some some reason. I, I don't know why that happened. But the Picard show, I, I do like the Next Generation and this, this cast, and I've, I've enjoyed these the, the first two seasons. I love the fact that we have seven of nine that you know that they're incorporating the the Voyager characters, you know that they existed like semi close at the same timeline. So I think that that's that's awesome. In this episode, you know we're, we're getting a lot more familiar faces, which is that's what people want. You want to see the characters return. So there's like they get a distress call from Beverly Crusher. And something's going on. They're being hunted. We see Worf in, in, in the trailer. Worf's talking about he, he prefers pacifism. Pacifism? Pacifism? He's a pacifist now. <laughs> Versus violence. And uh, we see Jordy's in here. And uh, Riker, obviously, is in here. So it looks like it's, it's going to be crazy. Now, there was something that was mentioned in there. Like, is this going to be the, like the last season? Because, you know, how, how long does Patrick Stewart want to do this? You know, because 
flying out in space all the time it's just got to be tiring i don't know but it, it looks like it could be. Now, the villains of people hunting there's this one villain i don't know because i'm not like a uber star trek nerd expert i don't know if there's some con- i'm assuming there's got to be some connection to the past but this villain that they show i think there's two villains i have no idea who they are but you have that the other thing i want to say as i round this off and i can feel it happening now and listening back, like uh, I, this is part of a, a previous podcast, I feel like sometimes I, I start getting stuffed up in this room when I record in here. And full disclosure, because I like being you know full honest, this room unfortunately is is where the litter box is for my cat. And now that we have two cats, because my daughter has a cat, sometimes just uh, I think it's just a litter dust just gets me stuffed up or something like that. Even though I have the window cracked. So sometimes when I start talking, I feel like I, I start getting a little nasally or maybe more nasally. So if he, if he ever wonders, like, man, why does Tony sound weird, weirder? That That's why. <laughs> and that is going to be your news and music and, and litter, no nasal updates for the week. With comic books at Image, Closet Trade Paperback came out. Uh, this it's just weird that it's listed as volume one. This is a James Tynan the fourth and uh, Gavin Fullerton, uh, very uh, kind of weird story, and it just it left me with just uh, not not that it was disturbing, but it kind of was disturbing, but is very fascinating story. I, I definitely I really recommend that, and and uh, it just leaves like a weird taste uh, in, in the back of my mind, if if that makes any sense. So you should definitely check that out. Oh, I just realized I meant to check this out. Halloween Party, a one-shot. Brian Posehn, Jerry Duggan, Scott Koblish, um, and did, did writing, and Scott Koblish, Hi-Fi Color. Um, it's a scary time in America, and we're not talking about the razors and the candy. When you might get murdered in a mass shooting, the clowns, monsters, and other things that go bump in the night have a harder time doing their job. It's a hilarious bummer. At this year's Monster Mash, Scott McTiernan and Weed Thing return, and we introduce some new favorites. So I meant to check that out. As a, I think I might have. I think it was a. I can't remember if it was oversized, but it's a, just a four ninety nine comic. So I, I realized I thought I read everything that there was to read at Image, but I guess I didn't because there's something else. I, now that I, I remember, I didn't read a uh, prodigy icarus society issue four came out and i didn't read that seven sons issue five i still haven't read issue four this is how it happens this is how i get so behind oh uh, I'm, I'm really curious about that oh my gosh i totally missed i think it's because of the title it just I don't, even though the title should stick out Starhenge Dragon and Boar issue four. So this is the the Liam Sharp comic Mandis. This is like mind blowing comic. It's just it's so nuts, but not in like in a crazy, like hard to read, comprehend way. But there's just it's just so like I say I don't want to. It, it's deep. It's there's layers, but it's not like too intense. Like oh man, I'm staying away from that. It's you should check that out <laughs> at a uh, Boom Studios. I, I checked out this comic because it was number one, and and that's so that's the thing. Even though I had those other comics to read, I totally forgot about it. So it's not like I'm cutting corners because I don't want to read anything. I just I I thought I read I didn't. 
The Approach. So this is by Jeremy Hahn, Jason A. Hurley, with uh, art by Jesus Herbes. That's probably not how you say it. Okay, here's the synopsis. In this turbulent new horror miniseries, sold right there, it's like, or at least interest peaked, from writers Jeremy Hahn, which I, I like Jeremy's. I, I've read some of his stuff in the past. Uh, the Red Mother. I actually haven't read that. Maybe I should try to track that down. So Jeremy Hahn, The Red Mother, and Jason A. Hurley, The Beauty, and artist Jess, Jess S. Hervas. I don't know if that's a typo. The Empty Man. A storm is coming that's bringing more bad weather. When airport employees Mac and Abigail find themselves snowed in after a blizzard, they witness a terrible plane crash. After pulling a survivor from the wreckage, they realize a terrifying truth. This plane has been missing for 27 years. They really cut to the chase in this this uh, synopsis. That's like the heart of the, the, the whole issue. Uh, the nightmare has only just begun, though, as people trapped in an airport soon find themselves confronted by what this plane actually brought back. For those of the fear of flying, it's not the sky that deserves dread, but what lies beyond it. So uh, it's interesting reading that. I, cause I, so here's the thing. I read that before I read the issue. Maybe I just started skimming it and then I was like, okay, I'm going to check this out. But now having read the issue and then reading this, it's, it's I find it interesting like how much is given away. But maybe it's not that much given, being given away. So, it, yeah, basically, as, as it says, there's a, a big blizzard at an airport. So, you know, it's like we got to clear things and everything like this. Plane crash. They got to or not plane lands. They got to help everyone out. And then, you know, people are, are kind of stuck at the airport. You can make do and stuff like that. And then this other little like passenger plane, which you can see on the cover, it's like smashes and crashes in there. There's a couple, you know, bodies, whatever people in there and um, something else is going on. And, and that's where they find out like. Uh, the itinerary or the, the serial number, whatever flight thing said, this plane was missing and yeah, things, things get kind of, kind of crazy from there. So you should definitely, uh, check that out. And I just realized th- th- what, what is going on? Dark space is wildfire issue four. So this is a, the Scott Snyder and Hayden Sherman um, this, this, I'm really curious about this story. I, I'm, I'm digging this story about this fire, this firefighter team, which is basically, you have like your, um, Colonel, your, or not Colonel, the person in charge of this unit uses inmates from a local prison and, and they, it's part of like their, their time, you know, to get time off for good behavior or whatever you have, you have, you volunteer to work and and fight fires like you know wildfires and stuff like that they one of them decides like hey we're near where this guy used to work with you know before i went to jail for tax embezzlement or whatever something he's got this server in there like all this crypto money it's like if it's a we could get in there we could basically let's pull a heist and steal this you know millions of money of dollars millions of money <laughs> and uh then they're like oh maybe we should do that but there it's it's like one of those things like Stephen King is is like perfect at doing where he always like the the couple is walking down down to the park and this would be the last time that they would ever do that whereas like you kind of get this this foreshadowing like something really bad's going to happen you kind of you get that like straight up in the first issue then seeing how things play out so that's probably like a horrible description i but it's 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 a good comic and I'm really curious to see where that's going to go. Over 
at DC. So we had I Am Batman issue 14. More with uh, Jace Fox as Batman. And he's been teaming up with uh, Renee Montoya as the question. She's been offered the police commissioner um, position at in, in New York City. She's uh, kind of like checking out, like, who is this new Batman? And, and seeing how things go. And and they're, they're still investigating, like, who killed Anarchy. So we get some answers there. And what's going on with Jace's sister? So there, there's stuff there. Batgirls issue 11. You know, one of the things I uh, that perplexes me about this series, I really enjoyed the series. I, I love Barbara Gordon. I love Stephanie Brown. I love Cassandra Kane. So I, I, even though it's it's kind of confusing that they're all Batgirl, I, I love that they're all Batgirl, but it's kind of weird. What's even weirder is, like, Stephanie, her skin is usually, like, pink, like, pinkish purple. And it just it just seems so I don't know what what I, there's got to be. I'm sure there's some reason with the, for the color decision, but it's just it's, it's distracting to me. I'm just like whoa. So there's there's more going on there, and then there's uh, uh more going on there with the story, and you know who is this serial killer in, in like the neighborhood, like what's going on, trying to figure that out. And there's also stuff where I I kind of like it. They're they're bringing in a, a couple of characters from Gotham Academy, so because you know Becky Cloonan. And um, so we have Maps and her brother. I always forget her brother's name. So is Stephanie and this dude going to hook up? Uh, you know, so there's some some fun stuff there. Superman, son of Kal-El, issue sixteen. Well, there's basically the the annoying thing is Jonathan is getting a lot of flack. So we had this Bendix villain dude. Evil dictator in this other country. Can't really stand the guy. We're not supposed to. And what's Jay, Jonathan's boyfriend, is from this place. And so, of course, you know, Jonathan's going to help liberate the people. It's a good thing to do and stuff like that. But now there's a lot of people that are like anti, anti Superman, anti Jonathan because, you know, he's helped, you know, doing, invading another country and whatever, stuff like that. So you got that that stuff. He's getting a lot of flack. What's interesting also is, I think is it on the cover? Yeah. So we have Kal-El returns part two, but we saw Kal-El return already. And unless I'm trying to think, like the continuity. This is why I did an off my mind about continuity. We saw him, and then you know he he talked to Lois. He met up with Lois. But then here it's almost like. Jonathan, he's like he could. There's, there's like kind of like a sweet and touching, like flashback moment where he talks about like his father's, you know, hearing his father's heartbeat is like a comfort thing or whatever, and he hears it like coming, you know, because he, he's he every once in a while he would just kind of listen like you know is he coming back is he coming back you know he's he's a somewhere out in space you know because he's helping people on War World, and and then you know things are just piling up with with all the the, the crap that that he's going through, and then he hears his father's heartbeat. And, and then, you know, reunion. But it's like, wait, did this happen before Clark went and, and swooped up, picked up Lois, and then they were kissing out in the, in the sky? I don't know. And it, I guess we're not supposed to know. Uh, but it was a good issue. The Flash, Fastest Man Alive, issue two. This is uh, the movie version, uh, The Flash, I, I guess. So this is, uh, does it say... 
official movie tie-in comic. And uh, we had, what's it? Oh, now I'm forgetting. Is it Tar Pit? Yeah, so we get Tar Pit in here, which then that you know makes me wonder. It's like, okay, so Tar Pit exists in this movie universe. What's happening with this movie universe? Is it still happening? Uh, but it was it was a it was a decent story. I, I, I you know for a movie tie-in comic, oh my, this was really good because usually the movie tie-in comics are, are you know not not so great. Wonder Woman seven ninety two. I'm I want to get into Wonder Woman. I you know I love the character, so this this has been been better for me you know i'm sure it's it's been just as awesome as it's been for everyone lately but i've just been having a hard time for whatever reasons just you know directions of stories and stuff like that but here it's continuing where you know wonder woman's on her mission trying to figure out what's up with these plants and you, know, you still have like the international milk company which is i thought that was like a weird story but there's stuff with cheetah and because you know wonder woman like why did they have cheetah locked up? what are they doing to cheetah and you know, Wonder Woman has this connection to Cheetah. You know, she feels bad with what happened to her, and she wants to help her. But Cheetah's just like so far gone, and she just wants to attack and kill Wonder Woman. So there's some stuff with that, and uh, so yeah, I, I enjoyed that. And uh, definitely something interesting happens at the end. So it's like, okay, where's this gonna go? Jurassic League issue six came out, and I have not read anything beyond the first issue. Um, Batman and Scooby Doo mysteries. So. so it's a it's a twelve issue miniseries. I I checked it out. It's it's exactly what you would expect. It's um obviously this is for younger readers, and uh, I'm it, it's it's nice that they can keep this at two ninety nine to make this you know a, a little little cheaper. Um, I'm trying to see what the age is. It's it's still thirteen plus. I'm trying to think of what what a. I feel like it, it could have been younger. But maybe because there's the you know the, the the bad guys and the villains and maybe monsters you know maybe, maybe that's scary but I don't know uh, future state Gotham 18 I didn't read that I, I I'm curious but I'm just like I just I think I just need to draw the line since I've been like not happy with the last few issues and there is DC terrors through time this was like a 80 something page comic I I can't do those comics I I feel like. It, if I was like going on a trip, like you know, on a flight somewhere, or just had, it was like on vacation, you know, I would definitely read this. But I, I can't do the eighty pages comics when I'm trying to read everything else. And I know that probably sounds stupid or silly, but I, I just I can't do it. So I'm I'm sorry to whoever's you know in, involved with that. Um, Dark Crisis World Without a Justice League. I I think I actually passed on this one, and this was I believe. Green Arrow, yeah. So Green Arrow, um, Black Canary is on the cover. I haven't been super crazy about about these because, and I I can't speak on this one. But all of these comics is like, okay, the Justice League is dead, but they're not dead. They're really in like these alternate made up worlds that, to kind of feed off their energy or whatever, and and given you know they're they're living these like fake lives, but they don't realize it. And and then it's like, oh, well, someone's gonna come and try to rescue them, pull them back, you know, to bring them back home. So I don't. Know, it just it, it feels like it's just the same thing with each one, and and it's like we're getting this fake story, this fake world, and then they're gonna come back. So it's just like, why why do I want to read about this fake world that doesn't matter? I mean, whatever. Uh, Batman versus Robin issue two. So I I'm in, enjoying this series. This is a very interesting. And 
it's it's weird in a way. It's like the stuff that's happening with Damien. It's like why is he? Why is it Batman versus Robin? Why is he so angry? You know, Damien's always kind of angry, but not this angry. Where he's just like full out, like okay, it's it's I'm gonna like take you down type of thing. There's just a you know the, the people he's allied himself with. There maybe that's part of the reason or part of explanation. But you know it's written by Mark Wade. It has art by uh, Mahmoud Asrar, which I I love his art. So uh, this is just a it's it's a great book. And pl- plus there's a fact of a big thing that happened in the first issue, which I don't know if people are talking about it. They, I'm sure they got to be talking about it. Huge, massive development. But now I'm kind of afraid, you know, I, when it first happened, I was like, is, is this, is this really happening? Did this really happen? Is this going to stick? Or is there going to be like some trick where, or something, some tragic, I don't know what's going to happen. Uh, Batman urban legends. Actually, I didn't read that. And in Batman Incorporated, I did check out this book. This is by Ed Brisson and, and Jonathan Timms. So great art. I, I love Jonathan Timms' art. And uh, obviously, I, I love... Uh, did I say Jonathan? John Timms? Jonathan. I don't know why I call him John. I don't think he goes by Jonathan. John Timms. Um, but Ed Brisson, I, I, I dig his writing. He's, he's such, a, such, such a good writer. And ghostmaker is taking over batman international so this has happened in like a recent run of batman and james tynan's run so we have like a lot of the familiar batman incorporated uh batman of all nations whatever characters and we have ghostmaker in charge we have clown killer who he's kind of taken in as protege so definitely some some interesting things and this is i feel like it's kind of tying in sort of like chip sadarsky's uh batman uh was it the night, the like Bruce Wayne in training? Because where we saw Batman and Ghostmaker like training and you know, with a lot of different experts of the world, it turns. I don't think it's a spoiler, but a lot of those people are are getting killed by someone who's responsible for that. So you'll have to read that to find out. Over at Marvel, oh my goodness! At Marvel, we had like eighteen. 18- hundred axe tie-in comics and this is you you i i know it sounds like i'm being just whatever silly this is i'm i have this like major struggle this it's this is like so hard for me week after week i feel compelled like i should be reading these these books but i just cannot stand this like because all of them are like the same thing. Oh, there's an eternal, uh, the celestial, whatever is like judging everyone, and then this is going to happen, and then it's going to either be thumbs up or thumbs down, and 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 some of them are, are are good stories, but a lot of them I just I just ugh. So we had um, so what I'm doing is I'm just kind of like flipping through the pages. Like, is there Axe Death to the Mutants issue three? I can't even tell you what happened here. And I'm just, it's just, it's almost making me angry. Then we had Axe Eternals. We had Axe Iron Fist, which I didn't even, I didn't even, I was like, no, I'm not even going to look at Iron Fist. Because I'm on the fence with this new Iron Fist because I don't know who this Iron Fist is. And I know I should like give him a break. But I feel like there's like this deeper or longer connection. And I read at least the first two or three issues. I wasn't wowed. I love Danny Rand. You know, it was cool to see him in there. So you know, whatever. But yeah, so he Iron Fist getting judged. There are some other ones. Um, there was 
Uh, I think Immortal X-Men was a tie-in. Uh, Legion of X, which I don't read anyways because I don't like Legion. That was a tie-in. And what else was there? I think X-Force was a, a tie-in. Uh, but X, uh, X-Force... Now I'm jumping around. X-Force also has Craven the Hunter like attacking the mutants on Krakoa because he, he wants... He wants to hunt the uh, unhuntable or whatever it is. I don't know. All Out Avengers issue two. Man, we need to talk about this this comic. I really don't know how I feel about this. In some ways, so I talked about the first issue. It feels like it was just a couple weeks ago. It doesn't feel like it was four weeks ago. The premise of All Out Avengers, it's like there's basically, there's no beginning to the story. We are thrown. Ooh, that was louder than I, I meant. We are thrown. <laughs> In the midst of a story. And the idea, which I, I really like the, the writer's uh, viewpoint on, on this. I, I think it was the writer. I think it was uh, Derek Landy that, that mentioned this. He was saying that back in the day when you go to the comic stores and you're flipping through like the, the back issue bins and you, know, you, you find whatever comic you're interested in, you don't always find, you know, you get gaps. And and this is exactly what I did. You know, you I was like, oh, I want to get to Spider Man. You pick up this one and this one. And sometimes you just go by covers. You didn't always get stuff sequentially. And then sometimes maybe you know you'd pick up the one you missed later or whatever. So the idea here is we're reading this story, but we're not getting like the first part of the story arc or whatever because we're just kind of jumped into it. And I I feel like that that's a realistic thing. Back when I was doing Comic Vine, I would constantly. Be getting people like, where should I start? Where should I start? I want to read X Men. Where should I start? I want to read Batman. Where should I start? You know, I want to read whatever. And I'm always like, just just pick up an issue. You know, every issue. And I always say, you know, every issue could is potentially someone's first issue. So you know, you want to keep that in mind. You want to make it new reader friendly, but you don't want to be like telling the you know Spider Man origin you know every single month because that would suck for people who are reading it every single month. But because back what I did is, you know, I, I want to read Green Lantern. You, okay, what's for sale? Pick up this Green Lantern. Are there any back issues? Maybe. But you, you just start reading it, and it might not be the best, like, jumping on point. But you kind of get the gist of it, and you got to start somewhere. You can't just say, oh, this is, you know, part three of a 12-issue story arc. So I'll just wait until the story arc's over and start starts. No, because there could be something huge that happens there. So, man, that was such a segue or tangent or whatever. Um, not a segue. All Out Avengers were thrown in the midst of, of the action. It starts off, and you see on the cover, Doctor Doom is an Avengers. What the heck? What is going on here? And then it turns out that there's Doctor Doom, and then there's this Dark Doom. Like, so basically, Doctor Doom's kind of been split into like good and bad. What? It's kind of crazy, right? So. Yeah, it, it it is it is crazy, and it's kind of neat in a way because you know you don't have to worry about all the build up and everything and just like okay wait for something happens it's like boom we're we're there it's it's happening now but you kind of miss a little bit like how it happened so I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing and that's where I'm kind of torn with this in some ways while I think that that's a fascinating approach and it's a way for you know to just really you know get more to the meat of the story. It almost feels like it's it's kind of cheating a little bit because it's like, eh, Doctor Doom's Avengers now. How did this happen? Eh, well, let's not worry about it. 
it's, it's just happening. We're, we're dealing with it now, and then what's going to be the conclusion? So I, I don't know. I mean, it's got to be a brilliant thing. It's like, man, I got to write this issue. How is this going to start off? Who cares? It doesn't matter. You just throw, drop them in in the middle of the battle. Half the team is being held prisoner, and the other, you know, to rescue who's going to rescue who. It's 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 kind of fascinating in a way, but I don't know. And then you got Greg Land's art. <laughs> then we had Amazing Spider-Man issue eleven. Oh goodness, do I talk about conflicted thoughts? I'm really not sure about this. I'm I'm, ex- I'm excited for this. I I this is the most excited I think I've been for this Spider-Man series since since the last eleven issues. And the reason is because you got friggin' the Hobgoblin on the cover. I love Hobgoblin. I I have such such fondness for the Hobgoblin. Roderick Kingsley, eh, <laughs> I don't know how I feel about that. But man, I, I'm sure I've talked about this. This could I I could do like a a separate pod, secret podcast just talking about my whole Hobgoblin. Uh, well, maybe not a whole thirty. I don't think I could talk about it for thirty minutes, but maybe. But man, I got such memories. With maybe I should do that sometime. Uh, why do Why do I love Hobgoblin so much? Maybe I should just do. Maybe I should. We'll do that. I'll save that for you know. Maybe I'll do it this week. I don't know. But we got Hobgoblin here, and uh, it's it's um, it's interesting because with Norman Osborn being good now, since he was cleansed by the Sin Eater, or whatever. And uh, then the fact that we also have Ned Leeds back from the dead. Uh, you, you've been reading this, right? So wait, there's Hobgoblin. Is you know Roderick Kingsley's here because you know he wants to have some some words with with Osborne for stealing some of his his empire or whatever. Yeah, I just it's I'm very fascinated with what's going on here, and um, yeah, Hobgoblin. That's all I'll say. Uh, what else we had? Um, I feel like I don't know if I should be reading Black Panther. So Black Panther issue ten. I haven't been reading it. And then also we have this week. I'm jumping around. Usually I go alphabetical order. We had Wakanda number one, and I was like, all right, maybe I should be reading. What you know? I stopped reading Black Panther because I, when I first read it, I was like the international or intergalactic Wakanda of the universe or whatever it was it's like space Black Panther I'm like what the heck is going on is this T'Challa is this in continuity why is he out like in the far end of, why is there Wakanda out in space what is going I I still do not know to this day what, what the heck happened there so I haven't been reading Black Panther and I was going to read Wakanda because I was like oh uh, Wakanda Forever is coming out soon uh, very soon so I should probably read this i started reading it and i just i couldn't get into it and I, I don't know i don't know what it is um but yeah so you have those tell me should i be reading black panther and and wakanda now captain marvel issue 42 uh, this was another axe tie-in but because it's kelly thompson it was for me tolerable not no offense to any other ones, but while this was a judgment one, it, there was enough of Kelly Tom, like the just the, the character um, essence that she puts into her her books. There was there was enough of that to keep me invested in in there in the story, and and you, you got there's a, a bit of Chewy uh, her her cat um, her, her flurkin cat, and uh, yeah, so that I. For for an axe tie-in, I, I really enjoyed that. 
but it was an axe tie-in, so I didn't love it, but it was it was good. Daredevil issue four, man, things are just crazy here. And uh, got Daredevil, you got uh, Electra, so Chip Zdarsky, geez, you know, they want to take down the hand, and this is like just crazy. It feels like it's just so ambitious, like the stuff that they're doing, and and I I have no idea where this is going. I'm a little nervous. I'm just, I know it's in safe hands and everything, but it's like, oh man, we're, what's going to happen? Um, Fantastic Four issue forty eight. This was a tie in, but this was a. I have to say, I what I liked about this is the fact that so David Pepos wrote this, but there's a, a lot of spotlight on Sue Storm, Sue Richards. Is she going by Storm now? I thought I saw that somewhere. It's like, I think she said, it's Sue Storm now. Susan Storm. Why is it Susan Storm? You're, you're not like getting divorced or separated or anything. Not that it matters, I guess. You don't have to be. If, but there's a there's a lot of focus on her. And so I, that was great. Then there is Jenna's Captain Marvel issue four. I don't know how I feel about this. I think part of it is when the series first came out, and I think I, I mentioned this before, I wasn't like super invested in the character. I, I, I don't even like remember like why, where he came from and, you know, or how the idea started. But I, I, I don't think I read like the first, maybe I didn't read the first issue, which is why I'm like so confused, not so confused, but a little confused. Um, but I, I like Rick Jones and you know the the fact that I'm mentioning a Marlowe and and it's like what's going so there's some interesting things here you know it's it's definitely holding my interest and you know it's, and I'm really like drawing lines these these days but I just I'm not super like invested in the characters but I'm you know curious about what's what's going on Ghost Rider issue seven came out I, I think that's a cool cover I didn't um, read that because yeah I, I just haven't been into it. So I mentioned I had skipped over Immortal X-Men, Legion X-Men. Um, there was a Namor book that came out. I didn't read this because I'm not a Namor fan at all. I, I can't stand him because I think he's... he's is it, I don't know if it's because he's arrogant, but it's just... I don't know. It's just... I feel like his, his thinking sometimes, I'm like, really? It's like, okay, I get why you're angry, you know human it'll surface dwellers polluting the ocean yeah you should be you know we suck for you know allowing that to happen but i am a little curious about this but part of it was a, the time factor so the, i will admit i didn't read this because of time and because it's namor but it's a century into the future not much land remains on earth a combination of a worsening climate and a devastating war with the Cree which I don't like the Cree. I'm not super crazy about the Cree. Has left the surface of the planet mostly inhospitable with an ever-dwindling population of air breathers and profound lack of superheroes to protect them. Enter Namor, who these many years on is no longer king of Atlantis, but ruler of the entire world. Come on, that does sound interesting, right? I didn't read it, so I gotta try to read that. I tried reading Punisher War Journal Brother, issue one, and when I read it, I, I think it was like Thursday night, I was like super tired. I, I think I was barely staying awake. So this is, you know, I saw Halloween. I was like reading some other comics and I was trying to read this. And I just, I I must have been like flipping pages like in my sleep because I, I couldn't even tell you what this comic was about. Let's see, what's it say? It's about Lady Bullseye has failed. Lord Deathstrike has failed. Every assassin sent to kill Frank fails. The leaders of the underworld, blah, blah, blah. Um, 
uh, news ripples through the shadows of the world, 500 million to the person who takes down the Punisher. But there's one face from his past who's in his hunt for more than the money. See, I'm, that's interesting, but it's weird how we're getting all these. We have like a regular main Punisher book, but then we're getting these like other side books that are dealing with this Punisher that's leading the hand now, which is crazy. <laughs> I don't know what's, what, where this is going to go, but I guess we'll find out like also in Daredevil. Then there's Star Wars issue 28. Uh, this has been interesting because a uh, couple, uh, this this couple working on the Death Star, Death Star 2, they're like, man, we got to get this word out. This this isn't a good thing. And they're trying to escape. And, and uh, you know, will the Rebels find out? How do the Rebels find out about the second Death Star? Is this it? Maybe. So you have to find out. And look at that cover. Why is Luke wearing an Imperial uniform? Then uh, there was Star Wars Visions issue one. At first, I was like, oh, "What are they? Are you serious? You just adapting the the Star Wars Visions? Those kind of cool uh, episodes? I know a lot of people loved them. I thought they were they were okay. Uh, but I guess this is a new story. So this is from the duel, eps- the the duel episode, the duel. There's more about this this character. Um, so." More, it, it was a time factor. I didn't. That's why I didn't didn't read that. And then Venom issue eleven. I just I'm I'm not crazy about what is going on with Venom. I don't know what's going on with Venom, and I just feel like it's too much. I'm not a super fan of Dylan, uh, Eddie's son, as Venom, and it's so weird. I feel like he's been aged and that just really bothers me. I must be crazy. I feel, I feel like I'm crazy. It's like, I always thought he was like, like seven years old and now he's like 16 or 15. And, and it's like, is he getting older? Like each issue? Like what is going on? And the fact that like Eddie is like the, the king in black now and he's like dead, but he's not dead. And in his like consciousness is like, can go into any symbiote. And I, I just don't care. And, uh, <laughs> And that's it for comics because I already talked about X Force and uh, Craven. <laughs> There's part Craven's like walking around. He's got like Deadpool's head on like a pike. <laughs> and I don't know why he's carrying it. It's it's not like it's a torch. He's he's just carrying his head. And then Deadpool, you know, he wants to warn the others because you know the X Men don't know that he's they're going to start killing mutants, and he does start killing mutants. So Deadpool like. <laughs> Somehow, I don't know, how did he do it? He like he bites his tongue off to kind of like try to leave a, a, a message or a trailer. Yeah, so that's uh, pretty gross. But that is going to be comics for the week. All right, and now Rick and Morty, Season 6, Episode 6, Jerixic Mort. This was mm, this was a, a decent episode. Uh, yeah, not my favorite of the season, but it, it, it was it had its moments, I guess. So news mentions the space rift is still there. So remember that. So that's uh, I think it's from the first first episode of the season. Morty comes in and says that mom's working, dad's still sleeping, so he's gonna be late. And he, then uh, Rick's like, okay, yeah, I got it. He takes out the portal gun. But Morty's surprised. He's like, oh, is it working? He's like, pretty much. He makes a portal and this like beast tries emerging. Then he says that, you know, that's going to happen. Sometimes he has like a, a little like spray bottle and like squirts it, whatever. Then Morty's like, get the keys. So then they have to drive. So in the car, he's like, oh, it's actually kind of nice taking a break from the portal travel stuff. 
Rick says he has a process. He's like, every time you bring up the portal, it blocks a creative flow. So then I'm, I'm forced to take longer on purpose, you know, just to train, I guess, Morty not to bring it up or something like that. Morty walks into class and his math teacher, Mr. Goldenfold, which we haven't seen in a while, he yells out, like, safety protocol, whatever. And then, like, the class, like, hides under the desk to freak out. And he's like, what is it now? Brain bugs, space worms. And Morty's like, you don't have to act like this every day. And teacher's like, the last time the aliens made me lick all the toilet seats. And then it starts rumbling outside. Morty's like, this it wasn't me. So the ship comes floating by. And it's kind of like, like the ship in Arrival with Jeremy Renner and Amy Adams. So it's just like floating across like Earth. Then it comes down by Egypt. And it's like some plants kind of grow underneath it, like in a shadow or something like that. This army general says, like, if the aliens want Earth, they'll have to go through Egypt first. <laughs> He's like, and ask the mummies how that went. <laughs> the ship opens up and this dinosaur comes out with sort of like this headpiece thing. And <laughs> the general's like, mummy Mia. <laughs> I don't know why that made me laugh. And it sends out like this like telepathic. I thought it was like a telepath. It was more like a telekinetic blast. The gun soldiers all like levitate and come apart in pieces. And a couple other dinosaurs, like different species, dinosaurs come forward. And uh, this dude's like, the dinosaurs are back. The, the first dino's like, monkeys went bald. So then they're speaking at the United Nations. And like, of course, the president's here. So the, the one, one dinosaur is like, before we start, where are the rest of us? And the president's like, uh, they died. Uh, a long time ago, way before us. He's like, we didn't see nothing. <laughs> so then they're like, surely their ancestors must have left some sign behind. Uh, w- one dude, his his eyes are kind of like going back and forth and everything. And they're like, why is he nervous? The president's like, because you're dinosaurs. It's weird. We thought thought you were dead. And he kind of chuckles nervously. So I'm not really sure if there's if that was what it was, if there's something else. Because then later he has like a water bottle and he kind of like hides it or something. I don't know. So after they achieve perfect harmony with Mother Earth, their best and bravest left to help other planets. So over millions of years, they've called other planets home until each one has flourished. So imagines are surprised when they return and they find their race extinct and Earth run by you guys. So the other was like, when we left, we, you were basically squirrels. And he's like, they're still alive. But surely there must have been at some point between gunpowder and something called Amazon Prime where you would have to think, are we supposed to be running a planet? Wouldn't we rather make Marvel movies? And he's like, how many Marvel movies have you made? The general said next to president, like right away, he's like 29 and 14 more on the way. So then dinosaur like, see, you love doing that. And we love helping life forms get their footing. So now that we're back, we can respectfully take it from here. The president's like, hold on. If if you saw Endgame, you know invasion is not something Earth takes lying down. <laughs> the other says, like, this is not an invasion. Besides, wouldn't you like to lie down? The other says, you must be exhausted. Put your feet up. Get more tattoos. Finish rounding out this Ant-Man character. They're, like, really going on about Marvel. Think of it like what you call vacation, but permanent. The president's like, welcome home, dinosaurs. And asked the general, he's like, should we nuke them? And the general's like, I'm on vacation. So then there's a bunch of newspaper headlines. Dinos do it all. Scarcity is scarce. Every fridge full. And then food is like free. And this, this guy's, you know, they're at, at an office, like chop, cut off their ties, whatever. Unemployment is at 100%. There is literally nothing to complain about. And we see the general is making like birdhouses. Last headline ever, typesetter sad. And the presence is in the Oval Office, like tumbleweed goes by, but it's actually from the, on a pedestal, like the Washington's first tumbleweed or something like that. So the president puts it back up and he leaves the Oval Office. 
So Beth is doing like horse op- this horse operation game at a dining room table because I guess she probably doesn't work anymore. She's like drinking wine. She complains that she can't even pretend to be useful you know, in a game. Then she asks, is this how humanity end? Left sitting at the kids' table? Rick says, like, oh, you got to respect the dinosaurs. Like, they dominated an entire species just by calling its bluff about wanting more free time. Beth's like, so she says that, you know, they didn't need their help. Summer, like, curses. She's like, my dance videos are getting zero likes now. And Morty's like, oh, yeah. He's like, the, the dino, dinosaurs kicked the pedos, pedophiles off TikTok now. And she's like, great. So now I'm broke. So mom says, she's like, you don't need money anymore. And then she's like, well, what is this for then? Phone calls? And she, like, throws her, her phone against the wall. Beth asks Rich, like, don't you hate this too? He's like, why would he? He's like, I was already doing what I wanted. He does say that he thinks it's kind of funny that they're all basically Jerry now. And Beth Kirch's fudge. So Beth, Summer, and Morty go to Jerry. He's sitting on a recliner in the living room. They're like, how do you do it? How do you do it? Yeah, yeah, how do you do it? And he's like, it finally happened. So we see Jerry at a computer. <laughs> he kicks, clicks on a folder called stuff. And then inside, there's like forgotten stuff, forgotten stuff too, delete this, Titanic locations. <laughs> Uh, and then Beekeeper's Delight MP4. He clicks on uh, the, the folder too, pandas underscore falling dot move in the new movie. And there's a snake underscore wearing underscore miniskirt JPEG, <laughs> ugly underscore dog JPEG. And he goes back to the first stuff folder, manuscript final, manuscript final final, manuscript final final final. He clicks the third and he prints it out. Never Trying Never Fails by Jerry Smith. He goes to the living room with like a bunch of papers. He's like, asks if anyone knows how to mail things to publishers. Rick gets a beep. He's like, oh, the president only pages me if it's an emergency or if he needs Molly. So at the Bar Q, B-E-A-U, this restaurant, there. Rick and the president are having some ribs. And the president's like, oh, man, you know, I wish we could pay you, but there's no more capitalism. And Bo's like, oh, that's okay, whatever. Rick puts some drugs on the table, and the president's like, that's not why I called. He's like, drugs can't solve this problem, but he, he does take the baggie and like puts it in his pocket. He's like, we can't live like this. He's like, first it was fun watching whatever YouTube autoplays after the last autoplay, but a man can only watch so many ads for Grammarly. <laughs> that's a good one. And he wants, to take, he wants Rick to take them out. Rick asks, he's like, if you think I'm going to side with you over some highly intelligent creatures, he's like, you, he's like, I have more in common with them than, than you. So then Bo comes up with more ribs. He says that when you give a man what he wants, he gives you what you need. And then he starts like shorting out and Rick like pops open the faceplate on Bo, pulls like a rib out that he ate or something like that. President's like, how long were you Westworlding me? So the president asks Rick, he's like, what do you want? And Rick's like, I'm not going to stoop and answer that again. The president's like, fine. He's like, you get rid of the dinosaurs. You can host the Oscars. He's like, yes. I don't know why he wants to host the Oscars so badly. Rick goes up to the dinosaurs with Morty. He says that he can help them. He's human, but he's become more on their level. And he mentions alternate Earths. And he's, but they say they have a policy of like helping others put on their oxygen masks before putting on yours. They have no problem with him using portal travel but they detect that his portal gun is operating at suboptimal. So they make him a new one, you know, it's just like appears. And he's like, you can actually see where you're jumping to instead of the green swirl. And Morty's like, clever girl, Jurassic Park reference. They mentioned that they can, uh, 
close the rift in space. Rick's like, is like, oh, I'm getting to that. He's like, it's it's there for a reason, it's for, for canonical reasons. Morty's like, don't you want it close? He's like, whose side are you on, Morty? So they say they understand that he's frustrated, and then they they teleport them away and they go like layer by layer and they're back in the garage. Morty's like, I saw my own bones and it didn't hurt. Rick complains. He's like, oh yeah, what? Let's look at this. He's like, now nah, my fly is down. Morty's like, it was down before. So then he puts a new portal gun in this like device in a garage and like smashes it. Morty's like, yeah, but it was better. Rick's like, nothing from them is better. So Morty asks, he's like, are you going to fight them? He's like, no. And he's like, I'm going to find out what they're hiding. So then uh, they gave Morty this like, so you've got dinosaurs pamphlet, whatever. He looks at it. There's like a, a star map or something like that. So Rick figures that he can follow the trail to the planets that they've been to to find out like what they're hiding. So they fly to another planet. It seems that dinosaurs are extinct there too. There's like bones in the museum. The leading theory is that they stepped on their brains so much they died <laughs> because they, they thought there's like pic images or something like that. So apparently they thought dinosaurs had their head on their feet or something like that. So there are no help. Second planet, it's no help. The third, it doesn't work. You know, so it turns out the three planets visited by dinosaurs all had like apocalyptic meteors that hit. In one of the craters, Rick finds this rock, and there's like sentient light detector or something like that. So on Earth, the dinosaurs are having a, a Q&A at a stadium. Then someone asks, he's like, what do you do if you want to kill yourself? And they're like, you do not want to do that. And that, that's supposed to be it. So they, they mentioned they recently discovered a piece of Earth literature, Never Trying Never Fails, they think everyone should read. Jerry's there with like, he's, he's there with Beth and Summer, and he yells, he's like, he, I'm a famous author. He's like, then he's like looking at, at the book cover. He's like, wait, where's my name? So the dinosaur said that they will distribute the book to everyone tomorrow. Jerry grabs the mic, you know, for a Q&A. He's like, aren't you going to say who wrote it? And they're like, no, whoever wrote it surely is above needing credit and would want to share the knowledge with everyone. He yells at him. He, he's like, I wrote that. Rick and Morty arrive loudly with like music and stuff like that. Rick grabs a mic from, you know, from Jerry with like a robot arm. He says the dinosaurs are not evil and they don't want to cause trouble, but it turns out trouble has a way of finding them. So he like throws down this manila envelope and then this like little hologram robot thing like jumps out and displays like four planets with like a big crater. Rick explains that it wipes them out and most of the planet's life. The rocks are the dinosaurs' enemies, and they follow them. So then there's this like this live camera like out in space. So it, there's one headed to Earth right now. The dinosaurs are all saddened that their their work was all for nothing. Rick says like, oh, you know, he's like, but don't forget to tune into this year's Oscars. Then this little kid steps forward and throws like some plastic dinosaurs at them. He's like, I like trains now. <laughs> So then the dinosaurs are like an Anderson Cooper's 360 show. They say that they didn't know anything about the meteor. And he's like, uh, so are you going to destroy the meteor when it gets here? Right. And they're like, uh, we're in the process of coming up with a solution that doesn't involve violence. He's like in the process. And, and like the audience gets, gets mad on a Joe Rogan show. <laughs> he's like, I mean, no one knows if the angry rock species is even real. And one's like, oh no, it's very real. He's like, we all know that. And Joe's like, you know what's real? <laughs> a, a rear naked chokehold. He's like, I'll show you. And they're like, what? <laughs> rear naked chokehold. I don't know. And then on, I think it was a Wendy Williams show. Uh, they say that they've realized that the only way to save the planet is for them to go. And the people are cheering, whatever. Newspaper headlines, Utopia usurped. Fruit scarce again. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Actually, even if it's broke, don't fix it. And then... Uh, 
people are like smashing dinosaur bones at the museum. People are rioting in the streets. Crime's up 1,000%. Factories are expelling smoke. Happiness is down, but right where we like it. This dude uh, like staples his cut tie back together, sits at his workstation. President Rick are eating ribs. Uh, he's like, maybe it's a Molly, but I bleeping love you, Rick. Then he asks Rick if he knows what he's going to wear. Um, Rick's like, yeah, but it's like, I can't get you a plus one. The president's like, but I'm the one who got you to gig, you SOB. At the Oscars, he hosts, you know, there's like, here's an old science guy who got rid of the dinosaurs. He comes on stage, hit, you know, hit, hits the mic with this like statue, or whatever. Then he talks to the crowds backstage. Morty's like, you know, with a clipboard and everything like that. He's like, that mic bit was killer. And I think Beth is like, that was scripted? They're like, it's all scripted. So then we, uh, they find out the dinosaurs are standing on Mars waiting for the meteor to hit them. Rick curses. He's like, ah. Oh. He tears off his tuck and he has like an uh, outfit underneath. He's like, where are my keys? But then he's like, and I'm going to fix portal travel. He's like, I have a process. So Rick arrives on Mars. They, the dinosaur satyrs sacrificed themselves. So, and he's like, well, so am I. They say, they're like, well, if you don't go, we'll make you go. He, and then they tried doing, you know, mind blasting and whatever. But he's like, I, I dinosaur proofed myself. He's like, so they have no choice. One blast a meteor and it blows up. And he's like, you're welcome. So he's like, he forced them into action. They say that while they're doing favors and then the ship sends out a beam and it sews up the space rift. He's like, you fixed my rift. You hypocritical bleep. He's like, it was all canonical and, and poop. He's like, we could have milked that thing for a whole season or like three episode arc at least. So then they leave in the ship and he throws a rock <laughs> and then the, the ship like stops and backs up. He's like, crap. He's like, they're coming back. And he like runs on earth. Summer complains that it's hot and they need AC fix, but she's excited to see she got a new follower crypto for bare toes. <laughs> Jerry is sitting at the dining room table. He has uh, like a beer. He's writing a second book, but he doesn't know what, what it's about, but it's called Jerry Smith presents a book by Jerry Smith. Chapter one. Bleep. <laughs> So he doesn't know what to, what to write about. Door to, uh, the, the door to garage um, blasts open. Rick yells at Morty. He's like, come in here. There's like green stuff all over. And he makes a portal. He, he pulls out a person. He's like, it's a dimension where hats wear people. So there's like a hat with like a like a little naked person on top. The hat like takes a person and kind of like tips the, the person in greeting. Then Rick just like shoves him back. He's like, to celebrate, we're going to boob world. He's like, and it's areola week. And that's how it ends. And then with the mid credit scene, the dinosaurs are walking under new home planet. They will never help anyone again. And they start like shredding on skateboards in a crater. And that's it. So eh, not, not the best ending, but there you go. But unfortunately, it's, it's off for six weeks. It, I think six weeks. It, it's not coming back till Sunday, November 20th. So there's more to the season, but it's taking a little break. So that's that's kind of good for me, but but that, that's just that's just how it goes, I guess. So not the strongest episode to end this little mid-season break, but it had its moments. Then with House of the Dragon, season one, episode eight, The Lord of the Tides. This show, man, I kind of have this like weird relationship with it. It's like at times I really dig the show other times i'm like okay come on yeah here we go and it, it's it's sometimes i don't look forward to and, and well not not necessarily i don't look forward to it but it's just like okay now i gotta watch this show and anyways parts of the show it's 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 entertaining 
I, you know, I'm watching it. And it's just like, okay, this is fine. And then all of a sudden, it's just like things get like really crazy. So it's just, just, just weird pacing to it. And every time, and it's usually like you start out, it's like, all right, here we go. Now what's going to happen? And part of it also, I, I think my, my, my biggest problem with the show is the fact that we keep doing these time jumps. And they keep moving forward. I mean, it's it's very ambitious and and progressive. I don't know whatever, but part of the problem is then I'm like, wait, because like I had the biggest problem with like who, who are these kids' names? You know, because you have all these like blonde kids, you know, white haired kids or whatever, and it's like, wait, who's this? Who's this? Which one is this? And oh, that one's with the eye patch. Okay, I kind of remember. Wait, what was his name though? Because <laughs> what was the kid with the that lost his eye? So it's it's frustrating that you don't know or for me i don't know who these characters are supposed to be because they keep aging and but some crazy things happened this week and it's just like oh my goodness so it starts off it's been six years since the last episode so another time i I don't even know how has it been 16 years now because i think there was a 10 year and then six year i don't know if there's another time jump but it's been six years since uh Rainice last saw her lord husband, uh, Corlys. So the the maester says that he led his sailors into an ambush, and you know the ship was made to look abandoned in, in the fighting. His neck was slashed by a corsair's dagger. He fell overboard into the sea, and you know the wound was severe, and there was a lot of blood that was lost. So the greater concern would be like the fever that followed or something. Like that. So at first I'm like, wait, is he missing, or is do they know that he's dead? Because it, it's still not clear. Because they're like, well, he might come back, or he might. Is he in a? He's not in a coma because they don't have ways to deal with that. But uh, the ship's master said that he burns from within, or something like that. And then I think I could have swore it said that he was going to be home in like three days' time, or something like that. But there's there's no sign of him. Maybe I missed something, misinterpreted. I, I don't know. Then um, her her granddaughter. And brother-in-law, Vaiman, you know, they're, they're with her in a room or whatever. And he says that Vaiman, so Vaiman, Corlys' brother, says that he loves his brother, but they may find him gone when they greet the ship. And who will take the Driftwood throne? So I guess the ship is supposed to be coming, but it doesn't happen. Like, how much time? The granddaughter, and I don't even, Bela, maybe? I, I don't even know. She says that her grandmother's comfortable there, like, in, in the throne. But Vayman says that she presides only in the absence of her husband. On his death, the seat passes. So Rainey says that it, it passes to Lucerus Valaran as her lord husband desires. But Vayman says that he is a sea snake's own blood, the closest kin he has left. And Rhaenys is like, be careful, good brother. It's like, one could take your words for treason. Because basically he's saying that Lucerus, Rhaenyra's son, is not Laenor's true son. Because everyone knows the kid is a bastard, but no one can admit that because that is treason. You can't say that about the princess and everything. So he says that he speaks the truth and she knows it. He says that his brother only cared about the history books, that you know he will not, or Vayman will not see the line snuffed out or something like that. So deceit is his, and while he would like her support, he does not need it. So basically he's like, I don't care what the, the line, per, per, whatever it is, he's like, I, I should take it because I'm the closest. She, but it's like, well, why didn't you ever say anything to Corlys when he was around that you should, you know, dispute this this legacy or whatever? So she says that, well, her cousin, the king, 
would have his tongue for this. And he's like, it's not a king who sits the Iron Throne these days, but a queen. So then um, there's like this mountain beyond the castle or whatever. Damon climbs in the cave. He gets like, he, there's this thing where the dragon eggs are or whatever. Then he comes out. He actually has three eggs or something like that. And then he's handed this note that just came in. So Rhaenyra sees Jace trying to learn like high Valerian. And, you know, he wants to honor the tradition that a king should know the language. She says that unless he's going to depose his mother, he has time to learn. Damon walks in, hands her the note. She says, he means to call it into question Luke's legitimacy and by extension, my own claim to the throne. Damon says that Damon only cares about Driftmark and the Valerian line, not about the politics. He asks if he's made common cause with Otto Hightower yet or something like that. So Rhaenys is headed there and Damon says that she wouldn't back him or something like that. And she says that she blames them for killing her son. So Rhaenys is not happy with Rhaenyra and Damon. So I'm trying to keep everyone's name straight. So they blame her for killing her son. She says that they have no choice. And he like touches her belly. So it's like, I don't know if she's pregnant. At first I thought she was. And it's like, wait, is she? And I wasn't fully clear because, you know, they're wearing the big dress and everything like that. So then he's like, well, then to King's Landing we go. So Rhaenyra and Damon arrive. They're like announcing they, they come off. Of, I think they were, where they, they were in a, sh- I can't remember if they're in a ship or in a carriage now. No one greets them. Then this dude comes out and welcomes her back. It's this dude, Lord Caswell. I don't know if we've seen him before because I can't keep track of everyone. So then um, Rhaenyra says to Damon, she, she's like, I'd say it'd be good to go to be home, but I scarcely recognize it. So Allison with her religion stuff, the high tower religion or whatever they're into, there's like she's put up like all these different ornaments and like kind of sort of decorations and stuff like that. So like a lot of like the the previous like tapestries and stuff like that have been covered. And there's like this seven pointed star or something. There's like some star or something. I don't know. So there's this council meeting. Sarah Harold comes in and says that their guests have arrived. Then this dude says that he thought Lord Corlys wished for his grandson Lucerus to succeed him as Lord of the Tides. Another says the boy hasn't been raised most of or has been raised most of his life away from Driftmark. You know, he can fly a dragon, but can he command the fleet? So the sea snake never formally named him as heir or something like that, but the, the crown must choose what is best for the realm. The queen says that they will hear Princess Rhaenyra's petition along with those of the other claimants on the morrow. Allison gets up to greet her guests, and a knight says that there's a matter that needs her attention, so it's the prince. There's been a delicate situation in his apartments. So Rhaenyra and Damon go into the king's chamber. The model city is like huge because it's ever expanding, you know, what he's been working on all these years. She walks to his uh, bedchamber and, you know, he's, he's lying in bed and he's, he's like his right eye is bandaged and he's like, who goes there? And she's like, father, it's me, my king, Rhaenyra. And she's like, I'm here with Damon. So he asks for like help to sit up, but, you know, he's like, it's painful and everything like that. He's like, oh, it's been so long. And Damon says... Uh, the sea snake has taken a deep wound in battle at the step zone. So he's like, when we won that we wore years ago. And Damon's like, no, it's like the triarchy is resurgent. It's a new fight. He's like, there's a petition to decide upon the succession of Driftmark. Um, the King says that 
Allison and Otto that they see to all the business now. Damon's like, no, listen. He's like, you need to reaffirm your position for Lucerus. He's like, to be Corley's Valaran successor. Then he, um, he asks, has something happened to Lord Corley's? He's like, dude, we just said that. Rhaenyra says that there's um, someone they want to introduce him to. So his handmaid has one kid, and Rhaenyra says that this is Aegon, and in her arms is Viserys. And he's like, oh, name fit for a king, because that's his name. Then um, it starts to get to be too much. He asks for his tea. So Damon hands him this little cup, and then after he drinks it, he like kind of sniffs it, and he's, he looks a little surprised. So it's like, wait, what is he actually drinking? So there's this woman on the floor is like bowed to like Allison and the lady just made made in water tells Allison that she brought her here immediately. Um, she's seen no one else since Allison gets her to stand, asks her name, Diana it's D Y A N A. And she says that she was fetching the prince's wine and she put it on his table. When she turned, she's like, I didn't see him. And she's like, I asked him to stop. And she's like, you must believe me. Allison like pulls her into her arms and basically he he raped her and she's like you know thank you for for telling me he's like i know it was it wasn't your fault she's like i believe you she's like but what worries what i'm worried about is what others might believe it's like you know you were alone with the prince you know no one saw what happened if anyone else hears about this others might not be so trusting they might think that she's trying to besmirch the prince or worse. She might be the sort of girl that might have enticed him in the first place. So she knows what happens. You know, she's like, you know what happens to girls like that? And, you know, she, she's like, she's like, I swear in my life, I won't tell another person. She says, the queen's like, I know you won't. And then she gets something. She gives her like a pouch for her troubles, probably like coins, I guess. And then this lady comes in with, quote, with tea for for diana and allison's like it's always best to be certain so it's probably like the the morning after tea remedy that they drink so then um allison goes to Aegon's and she yells at him she he's lying in bed she's like get up and he's like mother what is it he's like you know just laying there and she's like the serving girl diana she's like the girl you sent fleeing from your company and then she's she's like think of the shame i i'm pretty sure she said think of the shame on your wife and on me so yeah, that makes sense. And because he's married to his cousin, I think. I, I can't keep track of this. They mentioned it at the, the funeral, I think, last episode. She's like, how can you keep carrying on like this, especially on a day like today? He sits up. He's like, why? What day is it today? She like slaps him and she whispers, you're no son of mine. And he stands. He's like, I did not ask for this. He's like, I've done everything you've asked me to. And I try. I try so hard, but it will never be be enough for you or father and this other maid comes in and asks if they've seen diana because she's supposed to dress the children then allison like hugs her and it's like wait what it's like what is that all about rhaenyra says that uh he looks like a different person so she thinks that they should also consult master gerardi's perhaps if he could see the king you know he'd suggest a different but then allison walks in because she's probably like okay what sort of treatment is he getting here and can it be trusted so um, Allison greets them. She's like, oh, it's been so long since we were granted the joy of your presence. Rhaenyra instinctively like, kind of pulls her arm up because it's where it's scarred from uh, when Allison sliced, sliced her with the king's dagger. So she's like, indeed, your grace. And Damon's like, though not long enough to merit a greeting upon our arrival. So he's like, I like how he's like just so, what's the word I'm looking at? Not, not uh, sassy, maybe sassy. Rainier says that she's sure the queen had pressing business, my love. 
So what can either of us know of ruling a kingdom? And Allison's like, I do not rule, you know, as, as you well know. It's like, my father and I are mere stewards of the king's will and wisdom. Damon asks, and how exactly is that wisdom expressed? Hmm? It's like, in blinks and wheezes? It's like, I'd be surprised if he could remember his own name. She says that King Visser's condition has worsened since they last saw him. And he's like, ha. <laughs> it you know, subjects him to considerable pain. And on advice of the Ma- maesters, Rainier says like, ah, the maesters, of course. It is they who keep him addled on milk of the poppy while the high towers warm his throne. I was like, okay, uh, Rainier, you shouldn't be like starting this like con- confrontational thing when you need her to back your kids, you know, claim to the throne or to the driftwood or whatever. Allison's like, if you would see him without it, he's like almost blind and suffering. Damon says that he has no doubt it was an act of the purest mercy. He's like, but tell me, for the king's suffering, did the maesters also prescribe the removal of Targaryen heraldry and installation instead of various statues and stars? Allison's like, the emblems of the seven serve only to guide us on an uncertain path, to remind us of a higher authority. Rhaenyra asks, she's like, on the morrow, which authority will sit in judgment of my son's claim to his own inheritance? And she's like, that would be mine and the hands. But be assured, the father is just and commands me to forget the accusations you have hurled in this room today. And she walks out. So it's like, okay, not the best strategy. So Jace uh, and Luceris, uh, they're headed down to like the fighting square. One of the kids, I, I can't keep track. He's like, oh, it looks smaller than I remember because that's where they were at when they were, that fight broke out. Everyone is like stupidly staring at, at them. And, you know, Jason mentioned that Lucer is like, you know, no one would, would question, you know, you being heir to Driftmark if you look more like Sir Lenor um, Valaran than Sir Harwin Strong. But then brother's like, well, it doesn't matter what they think. There's just like duel going on. So they're like, oh, let's, you know, they want to go check it out. So it's one-eyed Aemon and, you know, he, he wins. And then uh, the knight training him, fighting him, he's like, he's like, oh, you'll be winning tourneys in no time. Eamon's like, I don't give a poop about tourneys. Then he sees him. He's like, nephews, have you come to train? But before they can answer, someone's like, open the gates. So Vaymon and his, his like entourage come in. Otto tells the queen that what, you know, what, what they do for the, is for the good of the realm. So she had to uh, confess a certain uneasiness. He may yet live. But Otto says they must be prepared if he does not. So Vaymon is with them, he's, and he's sitting at a table. Otto says that you know, the realm has enjoyed a long peace, and it's a credit to both Jaehaerys and Viserys, but the threat of war looms. It may arrive under their shores. And when it does, does she want a child at the command of the greatest fleet in Westeros? Allison says that they must, of course, act in interest of their subjects. Vaiman says the next Lord of Tides will be deeply in her debt, as will Driftmark in all its strength. So basically, he's like meeting with her to try to, not necessarily bribe, but to try to make a deal in his interest. Rhaenys visits, she's like out by the tree where uh, Rhaenyra used to go. Um, Raina calls her grandmother, and Rhaenyra, Rhaenyra is with her. So we have Rhaenys, Reina, and Rhaenyra. Oh my gosh, can you be a little more creative with your names? So Rhaenyra, the princess, the daughter of the king, tells Rhaenys that she's done well with 
or as her her ward that she's raised her admirably. Rainier says that it's like, oh, you honor me. Rainiera asks, she's like, can I speak to you alone? So Rainiera says that she's wondered many an hour what her purpose was in coming here, whether she'd speak for her against a suit brought by Sir Bayman. But then she realized that she intends to advocate for herself. You know, there is this is no fair proceeding. It's a trap set by the queen and by the hand. So she'd wager to proclaim her son illegitimate. Rainy says, yet, you know, she did worse than that with Lenore. Rainier kind of pauses. She's like, I loved your son. And Rainier kind of scoffs, like lightly scoffs. And, she, and Rainier's like, you may not believe it to be true, but I did. I did not order his death, nor was I, was I complicit in it. I swear this to you. I mean, he's not dead. He's, he's alive probably somewhere. Rainier turns and looks at her. Then she starts to leave. Rainier is like, I'll make you an offer. Back Luke's claim and let us betroth uh, Lena's children. So the Damon's dead ex-wife. Betroth Lena's children to mine. Bela will be queen of the seven realms and her son will be heirs to the throne. So Raina will rule in Driftmark and a seat will pass to her and Lucera's children in time. So Rhaenys is like, a generous offer or a desperate one? And Rhaenyra is like, well, what does it matter? And Rhaenys is like, you're right in this, at least, it does not matter. And quietly she's like, you can bargain with me all you like. Bring my granddaughter with you to soften my resolve. But tomorrow, the high towers land their first blow. They force you to your knees, and I must stand alone. So Rhaenyra kind of doesn't know what to say, and she, you know, she's just left there. So then later... Rhaenyra visits her father's bedchamber. She asks if he believes the song of ice and fire to be true. So that was a song about the original Aegon Aegon, and all this stuff. He whispers Aegon's dream. And she says that he told her that it was their duty to hold a realm united against a common foe. By naming her the heir, he divided the realm. So she thought, she wanted it, but the burden's a heavy one. It's too heavy. And he's like, my only child. But then she shakes her head because he's not her only child. But she's like, if you wish me to bear it, then defend me and my children. And he's like, it's, and he just like kind of gasps and wheezes. In the morning, he's sitting up. The docs are like working on him, on his lesion, lesions. He tells Otto that he wants to have supper. And Otto says that, well, it's, it's morning. He's like, tonight. The whole of my family are gathered at the Red Keep. I want us to dine together. So he's moved to sit up. He's like groaning in pain. Otto asks for someone to bring milk out of poppy. Uh, when it's handed to Otto, the king whispers like, no. He's like, just arrange his supper. So Otto stands bef- before the Iron Throne. He is addressing the hall. It is a wish that Lord Corlys um, survive the wounds but they gather here with the grim task of dealing with the succession of driftmark he's like as hand i speak with the king's voice on this and all other matters it's like no you don't then he sits down on the throne the crown will now hear the petitions so sir Vayman of house valerian and he's like my queen my lord hand blah 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 he's saying all about his you know what he's done and his relations to his brother and whatever. I have spent my life defending my brother's seat. I am Lord Corlys's closest kin, his own blood. The true, unimpeachable blood of the House of Valarian runs through my veins. Rainier is like, as it does my sons, the offspring of Lanier Valarian, if you care to 
if you cared so much about your house's blood, Surveyman, you would not be so bold as to supplant its rightful heir. She's like, no, you only speak for yourself and your own ambition. Allison's like, you'll have your chance to make your own petition. Do Sir Veyman the courtesy of allowing his to be heard. Okay, and Veyman kind of smiles a bit at that. He's like, what do you know of Valaran blood, princess? I could cut my veins and show it to you, but you still wouldn't recognize it. He's like, this is about the future and survival of my house, not yours. He's like, my queen, my lord hand, this is a matter of blood, not ambition. I'm putting the continuation and survival of my house and line above all. So I humbly put myself as my brother's successor. So Otto thanks him. Princess Rainier is told that she may speak for her son, Lucerus Valarin. She's like, if I am to grace this farce with some answer, I will start by reminding the court that nearly 20 years ago in this very, and then the big doors open, and then the king walks in, he's like on his cane. King Viserys of House Targaryen, the first of his name, blah, 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 all, whatever. Everyone's like staring. Otto like stands. Veyman looks confused. He, he like glances over at Alicent because he's probably like, I, I thought we had a deal here. It's like, what, what's going on? King has like a half gold mask covering his, his right side of his face. Uh, Rhaenys looks a little concerned. Alicent clearly looks troubled. The king stops and looks at his daughter, like catching his breath. Then he looks at Otto who came down. He's like, I will sit the throne today. And he's like, your grace. He looks over at the room. He, he gets the stairs, like struggling up the stairs. He's like, he says that he'll be fine when a knight tries to help him. He's walking up, and he's like all hunched over. His crown falls off, you know, from leaning over. Someone comes and like picks up the crown. He's like, "I said I'll be fine," and it's Damon. So he whispers, "He's like, come on." So he helps him to the throne, puts the crown atop his head, and the king's like, "I must admit my confusion. I do not understand why petitions are being heard over settled succession. The only one present." who might offer keener insight into Lord Corlys's wishes is a Princess Rhaenys. So, uh-oh. She's like, indeed, your grace. So she steps forward. It was ever my husband's will that Driftmark passed through Sir Lenor to his true-born son, Lucerus Valarin. His mind never changed, nor did my support of him. As a matter of fact, the Princess Rhaenyra has just informed me of her desire to marry her sons, Jace and Luke, to Lord Corlys's granddaughters, Bela and Reyna, a proposal to which I heartily agree. And Otto is, is like, he's about to poop his pants. So basically, Rhaenyra, she decided, she's like, okay, I'm going to team up with Rhaenyra. Let's marry our kids. We'll just go with this. Allison kind of like subtly shakes her head. The king's like, well, the matter is settled again. Then uh, one of the, like, the queen's kids smiles, and he's like, I hereby reform Prince Lucerus of House Valarin as heir to Driftmark, the Driftwood throne, and the next lord of the ties. Vaiman's like, you break law and centuries of tradition to install your daughter as heir. Yet you dare tell me who deserves to inherit the name Valarin? No, I will not allow it. The king looks at him. Allow it? Do not forget yourself, Vaiman. And Vaiman kind of looks, and then he spins and points at Luke. That is no true Valarin, and certainly no nephew of mine. Rhaenyra tells Vaiman to go to his chamber, <laughs> that he has said enough. The king's like, Lucerus is my true-born grandson, and you are no more than second son of Driftmark. Vaiman's like, you may run your house as you see fit, but you will not decide the future of mine. 
My house survived the doom and a thousand tribulations besides, and gods be damned, I will not see it ended on the account of this. And then Damon's like, say it. And Damon smirks and he pauses. Then he's like says, her children are bastards. King leans forward. Damon continues, and she is a whore. There's like some murmuring. The king stands. I will have your tongue for that. He pulls out his blade, but Damon's head whoosh, slice like right above the jaw. His body falls. Damon slices his head off. <laughs> and he's like, he can keep his tongue. The guards like draw their, their swords, direct, disarm him. And Damon's calmly like, he's like, no need. Aegon looks impressed with what his uncle did. Uh, the king groans and sits. I don't know if it's too much excitement or whatever. Allison says to call the maesters, not that they can do anything, uh, maybe for her husband, for the king. Uh, she tells him that he must take something for the pain. The king says that you know he will not cloud his mind. He's like, I must put things right. And he's like, helped away. So Vayman's body lies on a table being prepared. Uh, Rhaenys is there. And uh, this dude, he's a maester. He tells her that the body will be ready for its return to Driftmark on the morrow. She might wish to leave the silent sisters to their work because it's ill luck to look upon the face of death. She's like, the stranger has visited me more times than I can count. Grand Meester. She's like, I assure you, he cares little whether my eyes are open or closed. So at supper, and this isn't even the end yet. So supper, Allison's just like staring forward. Rhaenyra is looking over at, you know, glances over at her. Um, Allison stands and the others follow when the king is brought in. They carry him in on a chair. He's like, how good it is to see you all tonight together. So Allison, uh, she asked to do a prayer before they be, be one of her people's prayers or whatever. Um, she also asked Vayman for to be given rest. And the, the king says that this is an occasion for celebration, it seems. So his grandsons will marry their cousins. And Rhaenyra smiles at Jace. And he's like, it'll further strengthen the bond between our houses. Then the king stands. It both gladdens my heart and fills me with sorrow to see these faces around the table, the faces most dear to me in all the world, yet grown so distant from each other in the years past. He, he takes off his mask and his, like, his right eye is like, hollowed out and his, like, his jaw is like, kind of like, like, a little deteriorated or whatever. Like, you can see his teeth. My own face is no longer a handsome one if it indeed ever was. But tonight, I wish you to see me as I am, not just a king, but your father, your brother, your husband, and your grandsire, who may not, it seems, walk for much longer among you. Let us no longer hold ill feelings in our hearts. The crown cannot stand strong if the house of, dragon, the house of the dragon remains divided. Set aside your grievances. If not for the sake of the crown, than for the sake of this old man who loves you all so dearly. Allison kind of looks over at Rhaenyra. I, I, I think she did. The king sits down. Rhaenyra stands, rises. She wants to raise her cup to her grace to queen. I love my father, and I must admit that no one has stood more loyally by his side than his good wife. Good wife. Did I say wife? His good wife. <laughs> she has tended to him with unfailing devotion, love, and honor. And for that, she has my gratitude and my apology. And she sits down. Allison's like, your graciousness moves me deeply, princess. We are both mothers, We and we love our children. We have more in common than we sometimes allow. 
she stands up. I raise my cup to you and to your house. You will make a fine queen. Then everyone drinks. And then um, I think it's Ag- Agamon. Where he makes a crack at Jace about being betrothed. Um, like, you know, with him, like, oh, you're finally going to, you know, get delayed with the woman or whatever. He gets up to refill his drink and he says to, to Raina, he's like, I regret the disappointment you are soon to suffer. But if you ever wish to know what it's like to be well satisfied, all you have to do is ask. Jace like pounds on the table and he stands up. So then uh, Raina tries like call, calming him. And then Eamon also like stood up and he's like staring at them with his one eye. Jace lightly pounds Aegon on the shoulder, kind of like a, you know, oh, you. He raises his cup to Prince Aegon and Prince Aemon. We have not seen each other in years, but I have fond memories of our shared youth. And as men, I hope we may yet be friends and allies. To you and your family's good health, dear uncles. Then Aegon reluctantly says, to you as well. Then uh, um, I think it was like, I don't know if it's the, I think it's Aemon's wife. She, she wants to toast Bela and Reyna, they'll be married soon. She's like, it isn't so bad. Mostly he just ignores you, except sometimes when he's drunk. So she's talking about Aegon. The king asks for some music. Jace asks her to dance. And you know people are smiling. They're laughing. Cause I, now I'm trying to remember if she's his sister. I can't keep track of uh, maybe. People are smiling, laughing. The king looks around. Even like Otto is, is smiling. Damon looks over at the king. Uh, it seems like he's had enough, so he's carried away. A pig is brought in front of Eamon, because there's a whole thing about before when he didn't have a dragon and stuff like that. Luke kind of smirks, and Aegon stands and pounds, and he's like, final tribute to my nephews, Jace, Luke, and Joffrey. Each of them handsome, wise, strong. Everyone's like nervous. You know, so strong, that was Harwin's last name. Um, but is he going to say anything about them being bastards? Let us drain our cups to these three strong boys. And in Jace, he's like, I dare you to say it again. Why, tis only a compliment. Do you not think yourself strong? Jace punches him. Luke gets up, but Aegon grabs him and like slams him on the table. Aemon like, shoves Jace down, like since he's like taller. The guards grab Jace, and he gets up and lunges. Allison goes to him. He's like, why would you say such things in front of all these people? He's like, I was merely expressing how proud I am of my family. And he's like, hmm, seems as though nephews aren't quite as proud of theirs. Jace gets free. And Damon stands up. He's like, wait, wait. And he like stops him. And then Rhaenyra tells him to go to their quarters. Damon stands and looks at, at Aemon, and then he leaves. But then, like, Damon leaves too. So was, I, at first I thought, is he going to go and say something to him? But I guess not. Allison goes up to Rhaenyra. Rhaenyra says that she thinks it's best that they go back to Dragonstone. Allison says, that, you know, they've only just arrived. Rhaenyra says, you know, let me see the children home. I'll return on Dragonback. Allison nods. The king and I would both like that. Then there's this hooded girl. So I, I don't know if it was the girl that was with that uh, Aemon Ag, Ag, Aegon attacked, but she goes to visit. I'm pretty sure it's a Damon's old like whore lover that he was going to marry, but then didn't. So she's like, oh, I heard it's a busy day. And, and so she's obviously keeping tabs and spying. So I don't know if Damon's going to go back to her because if, if she's gathering information about the high towers, that could be useful for Rhaenyra and Damon. The king's lying in bed. Allison gave him some more of the milk stuff. He says that he's sorry. She like shushes him. 
he's like, you want to know if I believed it to be true. Believed what to be true, my king? And he's like, don't you remember Aegon, his dream, the song of ice and fire? And he gets like, cuts himself. And he's like, it's true. What I saw in the north, the prince that was promised. She's like, I don't understand. So basically, he thinks he's talking to Rhaenyra about the song of fire and ice. And he, when he says Aegon, he's not talking about their kid. He's talking about the one of legend or whatever. So she thinks that he's talking about her kid. She, and he's like, the prince, Prince Aegon, to unite the realm against the cold and the dark. It is you. You are the one. You must do this. You just do this. And she's like, thinks and like strokes his face. She gets up. She's like, I understand my king. No, she doesn't. So again, she she's basically thinks that he's saying that their kid should be the king. But it's like, no. And then he's like whimpering. He's like, no more. And it, like a tear falls from his, his eye. And then it like, kind of fades to black. And my love. So that's it. In the next episode, the previews, the king's dead. Although, is there a time jump? I, I'm assuming not. And Allison says that something like, you know, she, he wishes Aegon to be king. So there's going to be more tension and stuff. Two more episodes. That was like long, long coverage. That was a. Uh, Wait, wait too much. Okay, then The Patient, season one, episode eight. And again, you know, I, I like the show. I'm curious. I'm invested. But it just feels like not a whole lot is happening. So this episode, uh, 108, is called Ezra. We see Sam working, although I you know some stuff does happen. Sam's working at, at his, his cubicle. Uh, his coworker, she's like, oh, I'm heading out. I have to reinspect this this one place. And he's like, you know, it was apparently just a week and a half ago where she, when she first inspected him. He's like, that's not right. So basically, is the boss up to something? Because he had to, the the one restaurant that he went to, he inspected and had to go back right away. So he goes to talk to him about sending her out again. He's like, yeah. And he points out that it was uh, you know recent too. He's like, places get reinspected, Sam. But he's like, but they have to wait their turn. He's like, current wait time in our county is like almost eight months. The boss, he's like, Sam, when you have my job, you can do my job. And he's like, you know, why not worry about your own job for now? He's like, what you're good at, except for how you talk to your boss. Alan's sitting on the bed, and he's talking to Charlie, his his dead therapist or whatever. And he's like, you know, the, my note is buried somewhere or at the bottom of a river. He's like, I'm not getting out of here. He's like, I'm never going home. Charlie's like, well, why do you keep thinking about the stake? Uh, he's like, because he says that his daughter-in-law couldn't take a simple compliment, or Ezra couldn't, without turning it into an attack on her. He told her that she made the best kosher steak he ever had. And you know, he complimented her cooking. Charlie's like, by saying she made the best kosher steak, he's like, is there a difference in like some kosher steaks? And I was like, Oh yeah, yeah, I get it. I you know, it could be seen as a backhanded compliment. You know, anything could. He's like, I should have realized, you know, that it was uh I was in a more sensitive environment. I should have just said steak. So you know, he's like, but does that make me a bad father? But then meanwhile, as he's thinking about this, he, he's holding some. At first, I thought it was like a tube of toothpaste, but he's like doing something. I don't know if it's a piece of metal. It's like it's almost like he's like sharpening something. So we see Ezra goes to some prayer thing. Alan keeps like kind of like scraping the, the, the whatever he has, like sharpening it. Then Charlie asks about another thing. He's like Ezra's yeshiva in Israel. So he has to go to this Orthodox yeshiva, like for school or something like that. In his second year, Beth has a conference there, so they figured that uh, Alan would go along and visit Ezra. He sent out, Ezra sent out like a, a set of instructions to her how she's supposed to dress. Like Beth doesn't know how to dress around an Orthodox 
Orthodox Jew. Ezra is is uh, given this compliment by this one guy, and he's beaming. It's like it's the best compliment he ever got. And then there's a contribution. Alan was supposed to make one. He's like, this was made clear to him. So he writes a check for $1,000. And then they're in a driveway, and his mother's literally dying. And he says that Alan doesn't respect him. He's like, he doesn't respect his choices. So apparently he gave Shoshana, his sister, like 40000 a year for medical school, whatever. He gave his yeshiva a paltry $1,000. And Charlie's like, is yeshiva, is it free? And Alan's like, I never asked. you know, Or he never you know, asked to pay for it. He's like, he got a job and a partial scholarship. Charlie asks, if he, if he could talk to Ezra now, what would he say? And he's like, thanks. He's like, Ezra, you broke up our family. You thought you had all the answers. You were so righteous. You humiliated your mother. You devastated her. He's like, I want to say you killed her. He's like, but I know that's not true. All your mother wanted, all she asked was to be able to hold the hands of both her children in her dying moment. And even this you could not do. He's like, your way of looking at the world had to be the only way. Everyone else is wrong. And Charlie's like, well, you always thought Ezra was obstinate since he was a little boy. And you said, like his mother. And Alan keeps like sharpening the metal. Ezra has some flyers missing a picture of him. And he's like putting them up, handing them out to business owners. Sam goes to his car after work. He sees his boss get in his car and he follows him. It's like, this isn't going to be good. At night, uh, Ezra's still posting flyers around. Alan is working his little Rubik's Cube. And he thinks back to dinner with Ezra and his family, with the dessert. Then later he's lying on the floor. He talks to Charlie, says that he always knew that he was more Beth's kid. You know, he was more musical, more into religion. You know, both of them so sure about themselves and everything. Shoshana was like him. You know, she became a therapist and, you know, she considers everyone's point of view. Alan asks if Charlie thinks he's the obstinate one. You know, he's the a-hole who always thought he knew everything. And then he's like, fine. He's like, Ezra is, is as much my kid as he was Beth's. He's like, more. He says he did look down on him and on his religious choices, but, uh, you know, he has been blaming him. He's had contempt, so he must have felt it, like all of it. He's like, what do you want to say to him? He's like, I want to say, I want to say, why didn't you, why couldn't you? He's like, I'm sorry, Ezra, I'm sorry for, for not being the father that, he's like, Charlie, I have been more understanding to a flipping serial killer than I was with my own son. He's like, he has to hear this. He's like, for me. Charlie's like, well, too bad you're going to die in here. <laughs> so Ezra's, you know, he's like, his stapler thing broke. So I think he goes to his sister's, Sister Shoshana's, and he's like, I need to borrow yours. And she's like, you look exhausted. He's like, well, I have one, one more stack to put up. She's like, I'll do it. She's like, why don't you just go home? So Sam's watching his boss. He's at some place like playing ping pong with some friends, whatever. Like, I don't know if it's in a bar or something. And he gets in his car. Later, he's like, Sam's walking behind him on a sidewalk. He's wearing a baseball hat. Uh, the boss goes into a restaurant. And so Sam's just like out there. Ezra returns home. Uh, he went to stop by his deli or something like that. The wife and kids are eating, and he says he has a treat. So he has like a bunch of candy. So I don't know. I think that this is like not kosher candy because it's like like gummy worms and like just other stuff. So he's like opening these like packs. Um, and then the, the wife doesn't say anything. I think she's like kind of like, what are you doing? One son gets up and leaves. So then he goes into son's room and they just like sit next to each other. So I don't know if the son thinks that he's like poking fun of them or if it's he's teasing them or testing them. I don't know. Sam happens to run into his boss as he comes out of the restaurant with like takeout and 
he's like, oh, he's like, I've never eaten here. And Sam mentions this diner or something like that, that there was like a dispute there. He's like, their dumpsters just, he's like, you got to see this. And the boss is like, you're not working. You weren't assigned. And he's like, no, no. He's like, I just had dinner there. He's like, come on, man. He's like, you got to see this. Then we see as they're driving and he, he parks, he drives over to Alan's house. Over by the dumpster, the boss is like, it doesn't look so bad. And Sam's like, oh, they must have cleaned it up just like a, a second ago. He's like, okay. Then Sam's like, you shouldn't let restaurants cut the, the reinspection line. And the boss is like, what's wrong with you? And then Sam's like, are you taking bribes? And his boss is like, what? Sam, are you are completely out of line. And he's like, don't talk to me like I'm an idiot. And his boss is like, if you think I'm taking bribes, then you are a fudging idiot. So he goes to leave, and then Sam grabs him, slams his, you know, his back against the dumpster. He has him on the ground. He's like, shut up, shut up. And he's like choking him. He's like, I didn't like it when you read that letter out loud. When he got, like, it was a compliment, though. And then his boss is out. He's dead. Ezra goes into his dad's house, starts looking around. Sam goes through the boss's pocket, takes his watch and his wallet, he starts to walk away. He stops, goes back, like bends down, and he starts reciting the Kaddish. Ezra walks into his, like the dark living room, sees like I guess where his dad does the sessions or thing. Goes out in the hall by by the stairs, sees his mom's guitar. So that's what Alan tried giving him one time, but he like didn't want to take it. So he takes the guitar, he sits on his stairs, starts playing and you know and singing "Country Roads." So that was, I guess the song his mom liked. Sam is like eating a hot dog at a gas station. It's like it's just a cheapo hot dog. He calls Mister Buccella and he's like, "Yeah, I've been doing bad." And then Buccello's like, yeah, I was thinking about your question. Uh, he's like, I'd be glad to, I'd, to do it. It's like, to be your therapist. Sam's like, well, when can we start? And Buccello's like, well, how about next Tuesday? Is, is 4.30 okay? He's like, sure. Mr. Buccello says that they can meet at his house. The sessions will be 45 minutes, and the charge is $125 per session. And Sam's like, oh, that's a good deal. So Ezra returns home, sits on a couch with his wife. He says that when his mom died, he was, he was just so harsh and... I, I was just mad at him. He's like, that's all. And now, you know, now he's gone. Sam comes home. Uh, Alan's lying on the bed. So I guess he doesn't get any food today. And then uh, Sam just goes straight to his room, goes in a closet, takes a box down, puts uh, the, he just like kind of tosses the wallet and the watch in there, goes back out, whispers to Alan. He's like, Alan, or whatever. And he bends out and he like touches him to wake him up. He's like, do you play ping pong? He's like, yes. He's like, do you want to play ping pong? Oh, okay. So Alan sits up. Alan rolls out a ping pong table from the room. They play. Um, Alan gets the first point, then it's tied. Uh, at one point, Alan kind of trips on a chain, then it's tied again. Then it's 1917 Alan, 2017 Alan. Then Sam's like, there's something I should tell you. He's like, I did it again. He's like, the supervisor I told you about, the one who sent me back to the restaurant, Kyle. And Alan's like, surprised. He's like, that's very soon after the last time. He's like, is that usual? And Sam shakes his head. He's like, it's getting worse. He's like, I want to change. He's like, you know I do. He's like, is it possible? And I was like, it is possible. He's like, not just for you, but you know, also the people that you're angry at for being such a-holes. He's like, five, 10 years from now, it's like, they could be different people. Sam's like, does it take that long to change? And I was like, it could be faster with therapy, but it takes time. So Sam, you know, takes the paddle from him, folds up the, the table, puts it back in the other room. He's like, this isn't working. And he's, Alan's like, what isn't working? And Sam's like, therapy with you. It's like, 
these have been the worst three days of my life. Two people in three days, he's like, I've never felt this. He's like, I like you, Dr. Strauss, but this is not working. And he's like, I like you too, Sam. Sam's like, I think, I think maybe it was a mistake to bring you here. I just assumed it would work. He's like, I didn't think about, I've never heard anyone that I liked before. I guess you can't help me with that. It's not what I want to do. If there's just no other way and I have to do it, uh, you know, to you, how would you want me to? So Alan's like, oh. so he's like, have you ever heard of one about the Frenchman, the Englishman, and the Jew who were sentenced to death? Three men were sentenced to death, and they were told that they can choose their form of execution. The Frenchman says, I choose the guillotine. So they build a guillotine, they chop off his head. Englishman says, I choose the firing squad. So they get together firing squad, and they shoot him. He's like, now the Jew is left, and then Sam interrupts him. I went to see the psychologist from my high school. He's, he said that he would be my therapist starting next week. Alan just continues, and he's like, the third Jew says, old age. And it fades to black, and there's like the sound of the scraping. So how do you want to die? I want to die of old age. It's, it's pretty smart. So, uh, yeah, next Tuesday, Sam's getting a new therapist, so he doesn't need Alan anymore. So he's going to have to kill him. Yikes. So, yeah, it's just, it's interesting. We'll have to, I feel like the only way Alan's going to get out of this is if he, he's going to have to kill Sam, which isn't something he should do, but he may have no choice. All right. And now, Chucky, season two, episode two, The Sinners are much more fun. So I, I'm, I'm enjoying the show. I, I know I mentioned this last week. There's something about it. It's just, it's, I don't know what it is. It, it, it's mind boggling that this is such a fun show. It's so silly and it's somehow they make it work. So it's, it starts off this big mansion. It's Jennifer Tilly's mansion and she wakes up because so Tiffany has inhabited Jennifer Tilly's body. So, it's, she's basically taken over her life, I guess. She wakes up and then she, in, in this big bed and her left hand is like all bloody and she's like, the sheets are bloody and the severed Tiffany doll head is in there and she screams. So Tiffany got her head, the doll got her head blown off. But it's like, wait, what is going on here? So then a fancy breakfast is made. She pushes this cart, unlocks this door. It, the, the food's for Nika. So Nika's in this pink frilly dress she has no arms or legs since Tiffany chopped them off last season. So she wouldn't escape. Then T Nika's like, what was that screaming? Tiffany now. So Jennifer Tilly's back at being Tiffany. She said she had like a nightmare or something like that, whatever. Then she asked Nika, Nika, what's wrong? She's like, you chopped off my arms and legs, you psycho. Tiffany's like, oh, we've been through this before. I ch chopped off Chucky's arms and legs so he can never come between us again. Because... Chucky inhabits her Nika's body whenever there's a sight of blood or something like that. So she says that she's kept her, you know, prisoner there for the past year. Tiffany's like, yeah, but look at this place. You know, everyone says Jen Jennifer Tilly has impeccable taste. Nikki's like, well, you're not Jennifer Tilly. And then she's like, it's another reason why you can never leave. Then she's like, if you excuse me, I need to speak with him. So she cuts her palm like deeply it starts bleeding she sticks it in front of her face nika falls back and then chucky's in her body like laughing so tick tiffany holds up the doll head she's like wtf is this and chucky laughs oh i'm coming for you tiff and 
He's like, you know, stuck in that chair. You're going to pay for what you did to me, doll. He's like, and those kids, I'm going to kill you all. <laughs> At the school of the incarnate Lord for trouble youth, whatever, Sister Ruth takes the kids to the chapel and the priest is preaching. Sin is a choice. It's not complicated. It's, you know, primitive. God is a choice too. Confession is a choice. On God's team, every confession is victory. It's someone's choice to come one step closer to God. This one girl, Nadine, you know, after like the service or whatever, she introduces herself to them. And then uh, some kids are taking confession and they're like going to do that. And she's like, oh, are you Catholic? And they're like, no. Then she's like, oh, you probably just like hang back here. The out later on, how, or I, I think in there, um, Lexi points out Trevor. So Trevor, he's like, what do they call the kids that wear like the gowns that carry the candles or whatever? He's one of those things or whatever so she's like she's like trust me he's evil he could teach chucky a thing or two then in this office uh the sister asks for their phones and she's like what size because they have to get their uniforms lexi's like zero and she's like not here you're not <laughs> so uh lexi is appalled by the side of the uniform she's like i have to wear this every day and then she's like you'll have to brush that hair and take all that makeup off your face it's like you look like madonna and not the good one so then Father Bryce, he comes in, introduces himself. He's not like overly warm or anything, and you know, whatever. He, so he says that he's a headmaster there, and he's like, he asks them if they know why they're there. And Jake's like, God wants us to seek forgiveness and find our way back to him. And Father Bryce's like, very good, Mr. Wheeler. And his sister Ruth, the younger like sister, she's like, actually, I told him that. <laughs> and so the older nun kind of like and the, the father they kind of don't like her it seems like but then there's this toy drive even though it's weeks away so the older sister's already started something she's taking initiative to get things going and then sister ruth tells uh the other nun that a new donation arrived so it's it's a chucky doll and then uh sister ruth she's when she sees it she's like don't you see it she's like our, our lord's image plain as day in the doll so the kids are gone and she's like, it's it's our, our Lord's image in, in the doll's face. And she's like, didn't you see his image in a taco the other day? She's like, well, that was different or something. So the the girls are on the second floor. The boys are on three. So um, this one other sister tells Lexi that they're not supposed to fraternize with the boys, but they, they kind of, you know, look the other way. You know, they're okay with it. Just leave the door open, you know, if a boy's in a room. And then uh, Lexi is going to be rooming with Nadine. So... Lexi wants to sleep in this other bed. She's like, well, is it okay if I am this one closer to the bathroom? And so apparently Nadine has bladder issues, but they're supposedly getting better. So she has to be in that one. But it's like Lexi just comes in and she wants to automatically switch beds. It's like, uh, you're new, so you don't really get to dictate that. Father Bryce takes the boys up. He, no fraternizing with the girls. No exceptions. And Devin's like, no problem. <laughs> Jake, because they're both gay, so they don't care. Jake pulls Devin back as the father's talking. He's like, I think we should keep, you know, keep us on a down low. And Devin's like, screw that. And Jake's like, well, Catholics aren't exactly down with the gays. So if we screw up, then they're going to send us to juvie. So Nadine says to Lexi, you know, they're in the room. She's like, oh, you're so pretty. And she's like, not for long. She's taking her makeup off. And then Nadine says, I had never seen someone so glamorous. And then, you know, she's saying some other stuff. Lexi's like, look, we're not going to be friends. She's like, I don't have room for them. It's like, they all move away or they get busy or they fall in love. She's like, and I don't plan on being here long anyways. So then she's like, well, how, she asked Nadine, how long you've been here? She's like, since the seventh grade. She's like, my parents couldn't handle me. Then she asked, she's like, um, 
why are you here? And Nadine asks her, she's like, you tell me your secrets, I'll tell me mine. Then Lexi looks at, like, she does the same thing, but then, like, discreetly, she looks at how many pills she has. Because I guess she, they didn't get searched. You would think that they would search them. So she sees how many she has, and she takes one. Jake and Devin, they get to be roommates. That's uh, very convenient. Uh, then suddenly, you wonder alone, you know, doors closed or whatever. Jake starts breathing heavily. He starts crying. He's like, this is all my fault. Lexi and Nadine go downstairs. Um, she flinches a bit when she sees Trevor. And Nadine's like, oh, do you know him? And Lexi, she, she's like, well, I just have to come out swinging. So she goes up to him. He's like talking to this boy and a girl. And she kind of gives him a slight, slight shove and, and smiles. And she says to her old friends. And she's like, did you know Trevor was born with only one testicle? And there's like some like Nadine Snickers and that. Or so he told me in the third grade. And he's like, you said you'd never tell. And she's like, oops. He's like, Alexandra. And she's like, Lexi. And he's like, Lexi, I made your life a living hell. For that, I'm truly sorry. I hope you can forgive me. I'm not who I was back then. And then she, Lexi's like, then who are you? Someone who's not ashamed of having only one testicle. And then the other two like quote some scripture about casting off something or other, whatever. Then Trevor kind of outs Lexi about, you know, oh, I can only imagine what you went through. All those murders and dating a deranged serial killer. But I think the Lord brought you here so I can finally make things right with you. It'd be a shame to waste it. And he's like, peace be with you. And he puts out his hand and she just like looks at him confused. So it's hard to tell. It, you know when he says like take advantage of that so it's it's hard to say like is he really you know has he really changed i i doubt it it's probably just to act or whatever otherwise why would he be there right so then they're in this class it's talking about like deadly sins or whatever then nadine's like why do i have to learn all this if all i have to do is go to confession so the sister says that it's not that simple and you know jake asks that you know if there are any sins that are just like completely unforgivable and the sister's like, I sure hope not. And, you know, Lexi, like, looks at him, like, what are you getting at? So this, the other sister's working on a toy drive, the older sister. And the Chucky doll's, like, out of the box, falls on the floor. So she picks him up. Hi, I'm Chucky. Want to play? And she's like, not particularly. So she puts him back up. She goes back to, like, writing, you know, like, some card or something like that. Or some, like, paperwork inventory. Chucky falls down again. And she's just like, whatever. She just leaves him on the floor, gets back to writing. Then he pops up in front of her. Boo! Like, scares her. And then she, like, she falls back. She's, like, freaking out. He's like, really? He's like, just looking at me is giving you a heart attack? Thank you. And she's, like, holding up her cross. He's like, wait, that's a vampire. And he's like, hi, I'm Chucky. Wanna pray? And then she dies. <laughs> and he's, like, cackling. And then, then he takes out his phone and takes a picture of her. So he, so Chucky kills someone. Does all he does is say boo and and kills him. The kids all gather in the hall uh, outside the office. The sister is wheeled out like in a body bag. Uh, the kids are like concerned. Then uh, the three kids are, are the Jake, Lexi, and, and Devin. They see the Chucky doll sitting on on a desk, and Devin says, "Look at him. He's taunting us." And she's like, "He isn't doing anything." He's like, "I know. It's diabolical." Then Chucky looks up. He glares at them. He gives them a double bird. Then Father Bryce comes. It's 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 it was kind of dumb because he knew just as someone was coming to, to put his head down and act like he was just a regular doll. But 
Father Bryce comes and he locks the door. He talks to the kids. He says, she's going home now to be with the Lord or whatever. So they should honor her by carrying on, you know, comp- you know, going on with their studies, idle hands, and blah, blah, blah. That. So the kids talk. Lexi's like, what are we going to do? And Devin's like, well, we can't say anything. It's like, they wouldn't believe us. They would just lock us up. And Lexi's like, well, we should just run. She's like, it's not a gulag. There aren't like armed guards or anything. Jake's like, this is all my fault. If I haven't bought that doll at the yard sale, my dad, your dad, your mom... And, you know, Devin's like, stop blaming yourself. It's like, it was Chucky. And Jake's like, you know, I can't let anyone else die, especially you guys. So he's like, I have to get in there. Then Father Bryce comes up to him and it's like, are you lost? But it was weird because he said that he was going to be taking over a study hall. It's like, well, dude, what are you doing hanging back here if you're going to be doing study hall? He, he says that he knows their history and you know, Dr. Mixer filled him in. So he's like, it's just a doubt. So Tiffany and Nika are watching an old Jennifer Tilly movie. Uh, Nika is like in this blue dress now, and Tiffany's like reciting the lines. And Nika's like, you do realize that that's not you. And she's saying how sad it is just sitting around watching old movies, you know, and she's blowing through all Jennifer Tilly's money. She's like, you know, they're going to lose it soon. They're going to lose the house at this rate. And, you know, she, she needs to go out and get a job. And she's like, ha, so you can escape? Nice try. Then she's like, how the fudge am I going to escape? Because she has no arms or legs. Jennifer Tilly talks about um, having visitors or something like that. So she's like, it's either the ball gag or the chloroform. And But the, the chloroform is like almost out. She's like, how did that happen? So the doorbell rings. And then, you know, unexpectedly, it's this, this guy is at the door. He says he's a big fan. She's like, how'd you get past the gate? He's like, I climbed a wall. She's like, I'm going to call the police. And he's like, well, I am the police. And he's like, I'm actually looking for a missing person, Nika Pierce. And he's like, shortly after her visit, she killed several people and then escaped. So at the school, at study hall, Jake asks if he can go to the bathroom. Father Bryce says, I don't know, can you? It's, may I use the restroom, Father? So he says that, whatever. Then he gives him a hall pass and he puts like this hourglass on the table. You have exactly five minutes. And he's like, uh, uh, then he just goes. Devin um, tries saying, you can't just and then, uh, you know, so he goes off by himself. So then Devin and Lexi both raise their hands. And he's like, you two can wait. It's like, yeah, he's going to let you all go at the same time. Jake walks through, like, the dining hall and grabs a knife off the table. Like, just a regular, like, you know, kind of butter knife, whatever. He manages to pick the lock with, like, a pin or something like that. He goes in the office, grabs Chucky, like, curses at it. And he has, like, the knife. And then Father Bryce walks in. And he's like, back in the old days we would have washed your mouth out with soap. He's like, we have different methods now. So he says that, you know, he suffered great pain. He's caused great pain. And he's like, do you know why? Because you're lost. Just like all the other kids who have entered here. So he just needs to stop fighting. And Jake's like, I'll never stop. Then father Bryce takes out a Bible and he mentions like, I remember when I got my first one, blah, blah, blah. It's like, then he hands it to Jake. He's like, you need to find a verse that speaks to you. He's like, I'll check back with you at the end of the period to see what what you come up with. And Jake's like, you can't leave me in here with them. Because, you know, he took the knife and everything. And he just, like, locks the door, locks him in the office. Father Bryce returns and uh, to, to the study hall. Devin's like, where's Jake? You know, he's, he's like, I wanted to borrow his notes from the sermon. He's like, oh, don't worry. Jake knocks the Chucky off the desk with the Bible. And he, he then, then he can't find him. And then uh, he ends up climbing up the chimney. So Bryce comes in later. And he's like, where's the doll? And... He, and he has him like read a passage from the, the Bible or something like that, like the father of lies or I don't know what it was. 
so then when um, he's let out, he talks to Devin and Lexi. He says Chucky has a phone. He took his picture and he ran up the chimney. So they have to find him fast or they're all going to be dead. Lexi looks at the, the door to her room. She's like, there's no lock. And Nadine's like, oh, they lock him from the outside, which is weird and creepy. So it turns out that Nadine steals things sometimes. So that's why she's there. Because you know, she like, has a bunch of stuff or something like that. Chucky's walking down the hall. He has a phone in his hand. Which, where did he get a phone from? Lexi snorts some crushed pills because it's it's cool, I guess. I don't know. She sees Chucky like, oh, because uh, they put the dresser against the door so it, it couldn't open. But then she sees Chucky, so she screams. Nadine was like sleeping in bed or whatever. So she sits up, puts her glass on, and she screams. So Lexi closes the door and like pushes the dresser in front of it. Everyone comes comes in, whatever. Then Jake and, and Devin, they, they decide to go check the bathroom because... Uh, Lexi kind of gave a hint that he probably went to the bathroom across the hall or something like that. So they go in there looking for Chucky and then he's hiding in this like towel basket hamper thing. He jumps on Jake's shoulder. He has his like big knife. Jake flings him off. Devin comes, kicks him across the room. He like hit lands in the shower. He runs back, but then um, Devin grabs him, uh, him and like the, he has, he grabs a knife. Jake's um, looking at the pictures that Chucky's been taken, and Devin's like, "How many of you are left?" So he says he's not saying anything. He spits in his face, but Jake stops Devin from stabbing him. He's like, "I know what what Chucky's up to." So Nadine asks Lexi questions about Chucky because she saw him. She's like, "You know, is he real? He's like, does does he eat? Does he sleep? Does he go to the bathroom?" They go up to Jake and Devin. It's like, "Did you get him?" And and they're like looking at Nadine, and she's like, "She knows." So they take them to show them something they go into some other room that they happen to find some abandoned room i guess empty room chucky's tied and gagged and it's like tied to a chair lexi's like why don't you just kill him and jake's like he's been acting weird ever since he got there he's taking pictures of us and he's like you know pictures all around the school every chance he's had to kill one of us he just ran away instead so it's like why and dev's like because it's not his job jake says that this chucky isn't an, an assassin he's a scout and he's collecting information for someone and lexi's like who and they're like that's what we're gonna find out tiffany's making a birthday cake she gets excited because the gate chimes so that the twins are supposed to be coming she takes nika up and she gags her says that you know she still doesn't know how that doll had gotten her bed so maybe chucky and her are talking behind her back so she gets to the door it's a detective again so Nika starts talking to talking to Chucky in her mind. She kind of like passes out, whatever. So it turns out that she and Chucky are working together. And Nika says that she's only there because she has to be. That you know she wants to take Tiffany down. And he's like, "See, we do have something in common." The detective says that he thinks Nika Pierce was there. Then um, Jennifer Tilly's like, "Oh, Nika Pierce is here, but she's completely innocent." And then she lets him in, and. She slashes his throat. Blood pours like all over the floor, and which is crazy because ding dong, the the, the twins are the front gate chimes. This pink car drives up, uh, so it knows the code to the gate. Tiffany shoves the body in the closet and then grabs a towel and tries wiping the floor. Then the twins enter. So they have this like little car. They have like one person. There's a boy and a girl. One has like these really like big heeled soled shoes, whatever. So who are the twins? I never saw a seed of Chucky. Is, or is this like Chucky and, and Tiffany's kids? Are they in a bot? I don't even know. 
So she's like, Glenn and Glenda. I should have looked them up to see who they are. Uh, so, so I can't believe I haven't seen that movie yet. So she's like, it's so nice to see your faces. But when she's saying there's still like a ton of blood on the floor. So she's got to know. Or the, the twins have to know what's up. But then why does she have Nika hidden? I don't know. But it, so it's it's a good episode. It's um, just interesting to, to see with the school thing. So I guess only one one person died, but then the the police detective gets killed, but not by Chucky. So Chucky only kills one person, right? Did I miss anyone? He only killed the the sister. So we'll see because last season they did like a body count. So we'll have to see how this this season compares to last season. Okay, then Star Girl season three episode six Frenemies chapter six the betrayal. So Cindy's. And like the Dragon King's lair or whatever, looks at the slash painting from when Star Lord freaked out. She gathers some files. Um, then her eyes kind of flicker, and they, they turn like dragon eyes, and then they change back. So it seems like this her condition is getting worse. Rick breaks into Rip City, uh, Crusher's gym. He puts on a timer on his phone, and he starts like curling. I think it was like three hundred fifteen pounds, and then he keeps adding more weight, more weight, and he's approaching the hour mark and then bing uh, he lifts the bar it's like starting to bend whatever and he holds it over his head he's like pumps it and he's smiling so it's been more than an hour and he still has his strength and of course there's a camera in the gym too so it's like who the heck is watching and how do they have like a million cameras like everywhere so they turn off the camera then there's like this big puzzle but you can't really it's like just black. like what is this puzzle of at church Yolanda confesses breaking into someone's house to steal something. Stealing Yolanda? And she's like, it was for a good reason. Uh, you know, she's like, she was manipulating my best friend. And, you know, she took the laptop and she says that when it's safe, she's going to uh, tell the father about Blue Valley. You know, there's a lot of sinners out there. And he's like, well, be careful who you judge. She says she's not asking for forgiveness for what she's done. She's asking forgiveness for what she's going to do. So then Pat and Barb come down. They're surprised to see Mike juicing. He's like putting a bunch of stuff in, in a machine. He says that the Crocs left the stuff, you know, all the vegetables, and and they took all the cereal. So he doesn't have any choice, I guess. Sylvester comes up. No sign of Dragon King. He's telling about like last night. He feels like he's in a wild goose chase. He wants to update Courtney. Mike's like, oh, she's gone already. And Barb's like, this early? And Sylvester says, from what Yolanda said last night, Courtney... Uh, was meeting with Icicle's kid. Cameron and Courtney are in the middle of a flower garden. He's taking deep breaths. She's trying to say like calming things, helping him like how to control his powers. He says he doesn't understand how she knows this stuff, and she thinks like of Sylvester. Then then of her coach. She she says it's her coach back in California taught her stuff, and he says okay you should stand back, and she's like oh I'm not worried, and then he starts making snow flurries. It's like starts to swirl around. And then he makes this big ice sculpture. It's my dad. She stares at it. She's kind of disgusted, but she's like, oh, it's beautiful. Mike and Jakeem, they go to Cindy's with like flour and candy. So they still want her to join the join them, the young all-stars. So they they because they're not sure what she likes, if she wants likes candy or she likes flowers or whatever. So they knock. They they're like, the young all-stars bring you offering. And she smiles and she's like, no. And she closes the door. At the garage, Yolanda tells Sylvester that she followed his advice and it paid off. Pulls out Gambler's laptop. Rick says that he's like, oh, that proves she did it. Which is so incredibly stupid. 
it is so ignorant how Rick and Yolanda just really are, are bothering me this, this season. So Sylvester tells Beth, she's like, oh, we need to get in that laptop right away, copy everything, and then Yolanda needs to put it back. It's like, we don't want to tip her off. Because he's like, you know, we'll, we'll just decrypt it later. Pat and Barb bring like a huge fruit basket to Cameron's grandparents. They basically like invite themselves in. Uh, Grandpa says that, you know, they don't entertain guests often. He's like, but here's a Norwegian delicacy, lutefisk, which is not something I'd want to try. Uh, the grandmother asks him in Norwegian, like, did you poison it? He's like, of course not. Then she's like, then why you serve it? So things are, are kind of tense. Grandma's like really cold. No pun intended. And they mentioned how great of a kid Cameron is. You know, Sorry about their son, Jordan. Then grandma asks Barb if she knows what it's like to lose a child. And, you know, it's like, she's, is she threatening Courtney? Courtney and Cameron come in and Courtney's like, what are you guys doing here? At the diner, Mike and Jakeem, they talk to Zeke. They tell him that they have a girl problem. That they, you know, he's like, ah, oh, you've come to the right place. So it turns out, I guess he likes Maria. And he says a bunch of stuff. But then basically he's like, if it's meant to be, it'll happen or something like that. They leave. And Mike's like, that was a complete waste of time. So Courtney's like, why didn't you call me? And they're like, oh, you've been ignoring everyone. And Cameron's like, well, uh, she was helping me with a sculpture. And Grandpa's like, well, as long as both children are happy, that's all that matters. And he asked, says his wife's like, isn't that right? And she doesn't want to agree, but then she finally does. So they leave, and Courtney's like, that was humiliating. They's like, well, we're concerned. And she's like, Cameron's not his father. They say, well, we're more worried about the grandparents. And he's like, what if they have powers? And Courtney's like, uh, they probably do, uh, according to Cindy. They're like, what? She says that, uh, but even if they did have powers, wouldn't they have used them to hurt them like already? Pat's like, well, I don't know. And then they start walking. Grandma's like so freaking obviously staring at them out the window. You know, you can see her like the curtains like totally pulled back and she's just standing there. But it's, it's just so ridiculous how she so obviously just hates them or whatever. So as they walk out, out the gate onto the sidewalk, and there's just like a short little, it's like, why is there even a gate there? It's just kind of silly. There's another stupid camera watching them. So there, there happens to be a camera like outside. It's just, it's just ridiculous. Then it cuts to the puzzle. So it's like, is it a black hole? It is someone's face. It's like, is it just something I'm not seeing? Beth is working on a laptop. Her annoying parents knock on the door. They're like, oh, we've been trying to call you all day, but we couldn't get through. So we decided to come home. Then mom's like, did you really block us? Beth doesn't say anything. And she's like, why? She's like, I told you it's too dangerous. You know, Sylvester's sister was killed and, you know, blah, 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 like that. Then they leave, you know, their heads hanging low. You know, And then as they close the door, Wildcat's at the window. She's like, everything's downloaded, but it'll take a while to de- decrypt. You'll, so Yolanda has to take it back before Cindy even realizes it's missing. But it's like, how do you know that she hasn't already noticed it was missing? Because this has been like almost a day. Beth asks if, um, if she's doing this wrong, you know, about her parents. And you, you know, would Yolanda tell her parents everything? And she's like, hell no. She's like, but my parents suck. Barb goes to Courtney's room. There's like a bunch of flowers. So Cameron just dropped them off. And then, but it's like, okay, it's not that much of a gesture when you have like this floral garden in your backyard so all you did was like pick a bunch of them so uh courtney reads notes thank you for giving me hope and she giggles it's like oh my god wildcat enters cindy's room takes out the laptop and she hears something 
Beth's working on a laptop decrypting the files. Unidentified feed detected. Wildcat puts the laptop under the bed, and you hear, Hey there, kitty cat. And Yolanda's like startled. Cindy walks right up to her. I knew it was you. You scratched the window when you came in the first time. And she's like, oh, I'll do more than that right now. So she gets in his fighting stance. And he's like, wait, I did not kill the gambler. Yolanda's like, you have his laptops and you didn't tell us. Cindy's like, I have my reasons. I would have explained. I still can't. Yolanda just like extends her claws too late. Which is like just so ridiculous. So they get in a fight. It's trashing her room, like just smashing everything. Cindy gets some like scratches on her face, but they heal right away. A strand of her hair gets cut off, but doesn't grow back, doesn't heal. So there's only certain things do. And, you know, she's not really happy that her hair got, it's like one of her, her dyed white. I don't know if it's supposed to be dyed or if it's just her hair change. I don't know. Yolanda pushes, end up pushing Cindy out the window. And then she like jumps after her. Beth gets access to the unidentified cameras and she sees Cindy and Yolanda. Fight. There's a camera, of course, outside her house. So then she calls Courtney, pick up, pick up. The fight continues. Then Cindy hears something coming and she like ducks. A van lands on the ground. Rick comes like jumping after and he lands on top. He's like, I knew it. So they're both fighting her now because they're both big friggin' idiots. Wildcat grabs her arm and then like flings her. Her uh, Cindy's shirt gets ripped open and her dragon scales are showing. And Rick's like, what the hell? But it's like, that could be like a suit or a shirt or something. It's like, why do you, how would you even know? Plus it's, it's dark out. Cindy like covers it up. Yolanda's like, you're just like your dad. And Cindy just ex- extends a blade chink, and then it charges at them. Beth's like freaking out when she's seeing this all on the camera. It's still two against one. And then they look up. Courtney lands like hard with the staff. Uh, and it's it's just so weird that not a single neighbor is looking outside their window. You know, when them like walking through the park in their costumes, no one sees them. No one says anything. So they get knocked back from the impact. Courtney looks at, at Cindy. What are you doing? And she's like, me? She's like, Yolanda started it, and she stole the gambler's laptop. And she's like, I didn't kill him. Yolanda says, again, she's just like her father. Look at her. Look at her arm. And Courtney thinks about the, the crime scene, that there was a single skin cell. It wasn't Dragon King's DNA. It was yours. What's happening to you? And Cindy's like, don't act like you care. I do, Cindy. Please talk to us. And she says, I started changing when we got back from the Shadowlands. I don't know if it triggered this or if it was always going to happen. And she's like, I don't know what my dad did to me, okay? I was just trying to find out. I stole Gambler's laptop so I could go through his files, locate labs, find a cure. But I did not kill anyone. And then they're just like standing there, like staring at her. And she's like, stop looking at me like I'm a monster. And her eyes flicker a bit and she like squeezes them shut. Courtney's like, Cindy, let us help you. Help me? Help me? I'm so tired of all this. Courtney's like, if you were just honest with me in the first place, like I asked, and she's like, honest? Like you're honest? Like, why don't you tell them about your little secret that you've been keeping about Cameron? And Yolanda smugly's like, we already know she's dating Cameron. And she's like, dating him? Like father, like son? She's teaching that little psycho how to conjure up icicles just like daddy. And Rick's like, what? Cindy says that he has powers just like the rest of his family. Yolanda's like, is that true? And Cindy's like, yeah, it's true. And when Cameron finds out what you did to his dad, and he will, he'll come for you. And I hope he wins. And she walks away. Yolanda Rick just stare at Courtney now. So it's like, okay, you are all idiots. And so how, how is it that 
Cindy is like their their level headed one. At the garage, Courtney, Rick, Yolanda, and Beth are there. Courtney's like, You should have had a plan. And Rick's like, We did. You you just weren't involved. Yolanda's like, You haven't been around. You know, you're training the new icicle. And she's like, I'm not training anyone. I'm trying to help him like we should be with Cindy. Yolanda's says that you know this isn't about cindy you know she lied to them and she's like oh, i didn't mean to yolanda yolanda's like you should have learned after how it went with your mom and pat courtney's like this wasn't my secret it was cameron's and rick's like so he matters more to you than we do and she's like no i promise not to tell anyone and rick's like courtney he's a threat and she's like no he's not and he's like yes he is you made that decision by yourself with all of us who are a team at risk yolanda says that she turned her back on them for him. And Beth's like, you know, I've been on your side this whole time, trusting everyone because Courtney thinks that they should, but Rick and Yolanda are right. Yolanda says, you know, it turns out the person closest to her can't be trusted. Courtney's like, I'm sorry, I really am. Um, look, until we get this sorted out, maybe Sylvester should lead the JSA. Then Yolanda Sharpley's like, he already has been. It's like, they're all just so bitter and just so nasty. Courtney looks at her phone. You know, there, there's like a picture of like her, her, her and Yolanda. Then there's a knock on her door. She thinks it's Pat, but it's actually Sylvester. So she says that she thinks she just kicked herself off the team. And he's like, no one, you didn't did not whatever. She's like, they don't want me anymore. He says that JSA isn't about what people want. So he says like how they're alike. You know, they both think they can do things on their own. So finding balance isn't easy for people like them. So he's like, you know, you got to give yourself a break. The line between Stargirl and Courtney is, is is a blurred line. So he talks about like his sister. She thought, you know, given a chance, people could change. Even Brainwave, you know, he was different from Shader to Crocs or Cindy, you know, but he was too far gone. But she was in love for some reason. Sylvester blamed his powers, his brain powers, you know, like, tricking her into loving him. But they got married. They had a son, Henry. And for a while, she kind of proved him wrong. But in the end, Icicle you know, convince Brainwave to turn on his sister and nephew. And she's like, Henry died protecting us. So so that's just like, he was the only family I had left. And I never met him. And then he sighs. He's like, I don't know Cameron, but I know you. He says that, you know, he trusts her gut more than anything. If she says that he just needs some guidance, then he's on board. But as a wise man named Stripe once said, don't try to do everything on your own. And he's like, don't worry about the others. They'll, they'll get through this. Beth's like looking at the files, scan in progress. She looks looks for the camera. There's like none in her room. Then uh, Courtney's talking to Pat. So because he was listening outside when Sylvester is talking to Courtney. And she's like, oh, you're not going to say anything? He's like, uh, I think she's been piled on enough already. And, you know, he's like, and Sylvester said some good thing. You know, he's a good guy. But I, I don't know if he's, is he jealous? Then Beth knocks on the door. And, you know, Courtney's like, you look worried. And she turns on a juicer and so basically so the camera can't pick up any audio they're like what's going on and she's like just just look don't say anything so she says that you know something gambler found she shows them the different camera angles including one in the kitchen there so then they're like well what do we do now and pat's like we don't say another word and then there's another shot of the puzzle and it's like is it a skull is this person breathing heavy i have no idea who this is supposed to be and i don't know if we're supposed to know but i i don't know so i like the show but man they're just all so just all so bitchy <laughs> so we'll have to see man are they going to be able to survive all this
All right, then we have She-Hulk, Season 1, Episode 9. Whose show is this? So this is the, hopefully, season finale. I'm not really sure how I feel about this episode. So I, I really like the show, and I know there are some people who really don't like it, and it's very obvious why they don't like it. And it, it's it's kind of sad that the fact that it's, it's a, a strong female character and that's what this show really points out. So it's kind of ironic. And, you know, you have to wonder, are they actually like, it? and if you hate the show, that concept, or if you hate the idea of a female superhero so much, why would you even consider watching it? Uh, I, I don't understand. So all these people complaining, but it's, it is kind of funny that the show like really calls them out type of thing. But aside from that, what they do, I don't know if I really like the ending of this episode or not. You know, the whole thing about breaking the fourth wall, you know, I, I, I've been embracing that. I've been enjoying it. I don't know if what they do is brilliant or if it's just taking things too far. So we'll get to that. So the, the intro, the beginning, oh my gosh, I love the beginning so much. It was a callback to the original, like the 70s Incredible Hulk intro, um, but it's Jen instead of Bill Bixby and Lou Ferrigno. It was amazing. So it's like, you know, the narrator and everything, the music, the whole thing, uh, changing the, the tire in the rain, it's slipping and hurting the hand and flipping the car over. But... <laughs> But then, you know, this Hulk, it's its not your regular CG Hulk. It's like a beefier, like muscle, more muscly Hulk. But they talk about, you know, um, being pursued by online trolls. There's like this old computer and, and it's like intelligentsia. And Hulk King is like, she Hulk is stupid. Like 3X or 4X exclamation points. And she enters, you're stupid. And then in the scene with uh, like Bruce or or uh, David Banner uh, standing by Mr. McGee, like you know, Mr. McGee, don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me that whole part, but it's uh, <laughs> it's Bruce standing there in the outfit, and he kind of doesn't he he does this thing like the way he like looks off at the camera or something like that, and then uh, says that she is provoked into a rampage that has landed her into prison. Uh, so this is where we see like this more muscular savage She-Hulk uh, being shown. She flips the table. You know she's wearing the fancy gown or anything like that, and now she is seen only for the raging spirit that dwells within her, the Savage She-Hulk. So it said an Incredible Hulk, Savage She-Hulk, and it does like the split screen with like Jen and She-Hulk. And so Jen wakes up. She's sleeping in Abomination's old cell. As like alarm goes, like wake kind of wakes her up. Mallory, Nikki, and Pug enter to visit. Nikki's like, "How you doing?" And she's like, "Oh, I'm all right." And they're like, did you manage to get a hold of Bruce? And Pug's like, uh, we left multiple messages. And I managed to sound pretty calm considering I was calling the freaking Hulk my, himself. So Mallory, she just wants to get down to brass tacks. And Jen's like, yes, we need to identify every individual who hacked my private information. They need to be prosecuted. And Mallory's like, hold on. It's like, forget them. We need to discuss your case. Jen says that, you know, this was a targeted attack. You know, they, they must be held responsible for this. Mallory says that they baited her and she took the bait. She's like, I was angry, which is how anyone would respond in, in that situation. Mallory's like, but you're not just anyone. You're an out of control Hulk. That's what all the witnesses saw. They have an offer for a plea deal, but the DA won't file charges uh, related to the incident. And then Jen cuts in. He's like, what are the terms? So Mallory's just silent about it. Cut to an ankle bracelet inhibitor being put on her. She's let out. Her parents greet her. 
at work, she packs up her desk. So I guess she lost her jobs. You know, she can't be She-Hulk anymore. Nikki, you know, she's helping her. She's like, I stole all the food from the kitchen. I put it in your in your car because screw this place. But I'll continue to work here because they pay me nicely. Pug's like helping her too, you know, like carrying a box and stuff like that. And just like, oh, you know, don't worry about me or whatever. On the news, uh, this is like, you know, Walter She-Hulk freed, alleged superhero released from custody. She changes the channel. This other dude says that the terms of deal permanently bar Jennifer Walters from transforming into her She-Hulk. Change the channel. A neighbor who wished to remain anonymous is uncomfortable knowing an unstable super being lives just next door. Then she hears like yelling. She's like, are they outside my house? And she looks out the window and there's just like a few reporters there. So she has dinner with her parents. Dad's like, well, if no one wants to hire you, you can move back here with us. And mom's like, yes, of course you can. But my gym stuff is in your room now and I work out every day at 7 a.m. She's like, you should join me. We'll be workout buddies. And Jen just like plops her head on the table. So then we see her, she cleared out her apartment. So she's doing like a final walkthrough. Then at her parents, reporters like rush her when she walks up. Dad starts spraying them with the hose. Like, Get off my lawn. He's like, I don't care if there's a drought. <laughs> and then uh, she goes to her room. Like still has like posters. Like there's like a Le- Legally Blonde and Aaron Brockovich poster like on there and other stuff. There's an elliptical like mach- workout machine in there. Then later, Nikki's over at Jen. They have like a like a bulletin board with like you know a bunch of stuff and information. They're talking about Hulk King, trying to figure out his identity. Uh, she says that the site's security is annoyingly tight. Jen's like, you know, she said they they've looked into the platform. It's owned by several shell companies that are operating outside U.S. jurisdiction, which is you know how is she supposed to sue this guy if she doesn't know who they are? Nikki says that intelligentsia is made up exclusively of dumb dudes. And like she points, there's this guy named Chicken Boy. <laughs> so she's like, one will slip up and give them the information to track them down. And it's like, then they'll be able to find them and they will destroy them by any and all means. Jen emphasizes legally. So she wants to sue them for defamation, invasion of privacy and get them charged with unauthorized access to a protected computer. Nikki's like, ugh, boring, fine. She's like, if you want to be all Jen Walters about it, she's like, that's cool. So mom keeps coming in. You know, She wants to show uh, Nikki this video Jen made with her friends in law school, like dancing and like slapping her butt or something like that. Jen's getting frustrated with her. She's like, we have work to do, whatever. Then uh, Nikki gets a message. Dennis, the guy that he used to work with, is doing an interview. He's, he's like, yeah, we worked together at the DA's office and, and dated for a significantly amount of time. He's like, and let me tell you, she was a psycho way before she got those superpowers. I blame her grandmother. And she's like, what? So Jen is bummed. She goes to her room to lay down, like plops her face down on the bed. And her mom calls up. She's like, Jen, can you help me move the big bookcase? And, and she's like, no. And she's like, oh, that's right. You can't be Girl Hulk anymore. And she's like, it's She-Hulk, Mom. Or it was, but never again. Then she tells us, she's like, I know I wanted this, but it just doesn't feel right. She's like, this isn't even our reluctant superhero stories. She's like, I'm just getting screwed over. And she's like, is this what you guys want? Then the opening narrator dude starts talking. Jennifer Walters is at a new low, and, and she has no fight left. And she's like, no, no. She's like, I'm not doing a narrator. Then she texts Smug Hulk, which is Bruce. She's like, hey, what are you up to? And she's like, he's AWOL. She scrolls through her contacts and she's like, oh, Emil, you, Emil would understand. She texts and asks if his offer is still good to stay for a few days. And she just sits there and she's like, well, he said to come anytime and this is anytime. And then, you know, she grabs like a jacket and some stuff. She's like, I'm not running from my problems. Like, it's a mental health break. So Nikki's at the office. She posts on Intelligentsia website, She-Hulk dancing like a clueless idiot in college. 
And underneath that, she types, found his vid of She-Hulk in college, begging for attention. Then she silently says, she's like, forgive me, Jen, for this transgression. Then right away, this message comes out. You know, she gets a direct message from Hulk King. Epic find. She's like, there's a private event tonight. You should come. Deets below. Hulk King. Nikki's like, that was easy. Or am I a genius? And she replies, hell yeah, I'll be there. Uh, you know, see you at the event, bro. And she yells, Pug, are you still here? I need a favor. So Jen arrives at Emil's. Wrecker greets her. And he says that he'll set her up in the guest room. He gives her a hug. Then later she's reading Deep Haikus by Emil Blonsky. And she's just reading. She's like, this book sucks. And she puts it down. Nikki and Pug arrive at the location. She says that she needs him to go in there and mingle and find out about all these dweebs. She'll be on the phone with him. He's like, won't I look suspicious with an earbud in? She's like, trust me, you won't be the only one. And he's like, please don't make me do this. She's like, you have to just mingle. And don't forget to always refer to women as female. So inside, uh, Pug says that the reception is choppy. Uh, Some dude's like, you know, he's like, they're talking like, why does there even have to be a She-Hulk? There isn't a He-Hulk. And then Lady Thor, this other guy's like, hey guy, she just sucks. And I'm not saying that because she's female. I would have the exact same criticism if she was a man. Pug like hesitates. He's like struggling to say something. And he's like, females, am I right? They're like, yeah, man. Then Todd, that collector, rich, scuzzy dude, hears him. And he's like, he's like, Pug, whatever his name is. He's like, of course you're one of us. He's like, come here, man. And so they do like a handshake to bro hug. And Todd starts going on. It's like, you know, is she as strong as him? As smart as him? You know, she wouldn't even have her powers without him. You know, why should they act like she earned it? He, see, he thinks that superpower should go to the best person for the job. And Nikki tells Pug, he's like, say that she got everything through nepotism. And so he says that. Then Todd asks Pug, like, do you think she boned Halloway? You know, her boss. And he, he says to the others, that's her boss. And he's like, did she? And Nikki's like, say yes. And he's like, yes. And she's like, act like you're mad about it. He's like, and it pisses me off. So she's like, gross but keep talking pug asks you know how did he get involved with these guys the others start kind of laugh he's like todd's like dude i created intelligentsia i'm hulk king and nikki's like oh my god and then her the phone cuts out todd gets up on stage says that he's really proud of them because they hacked she hulk's phone uh, because they showed the world what a real monster she is but they've also showed them that they're not just talk that they're real action and they're just getting started at Emil, Jen goes into the kitchen. Rucker's there, and she says that you know she or he says that she looks like she could use some tea. And he's like, "Saracen taught me, but you have to watch him because he likes to sneak in chicken blood." So he offers to lend an ear, you know, if she need, wants to talk. And she's like, "You know, I don't think anyone else could really understand what I'm going through except Emil, since he went through the exact same thing." She's like, "Where is he?" And Rucker's like, "Oh, he's down by the lodge, like some private event down there." Hmm. Todd is about to introduce our very special guest speaker. He says he costs a ton, so he better cheer. Give it up for the abomination. He walks in in abomination form, but he has clothes on. So he says, welcome to the Summer Twilight Lodge. It's really an honor to be your humble life coach for the evening. He says that he heard that they're all making great progress. Jen, meanwhile, starts walking towards the lodge. Emil says that Todd told him that they were all unsatisfied with their place in the real world. So he's like, you know, don't ask for permission. And they all repeat, be powerful. Jen opens the door and you hear, you are the only boss. And she looks up, Emil? And then he changes back. The crowd is like, 
what the heck? And Todd's like, Jen Walters. She asked Todd, she's like, what are you doing here? And she's like, actually, I don't care. And she asked Emil, have you been transforming into the abomination? He's like, uh, yeah, I do uh, speaking engagements. Nothing bad, strictly for profit. She says that, she's like, I vouch for you. And he's like, oh, I'm sorry, you're upset. And she's like, wait, was there a real apology in there somewhere that I missed? Then Nikki barges in. And they're like, what, another one? And Pug goes over by her and says to Jen, he's like, we need to get out of here. And he's like, these guys are intelligentsia. Todd created a site. He's Hulk King. Then she turns to Todd, you're Hulk King? And Todd's like, no doy. <laughs> Who says doy? The crowd cheers. And Todd says, remember your attractive date, Josh? You think the sex tape was the worst part? I hired him to seduce you and steal your blood. And she's like, what are you talking about? Todd says that his team also synthesized her blood so it could safely give him all the power she never should have been given in the first place. You know, He didn't just get handed superpowers. He had to earn them. Had earned them, what, by paying someone? So he injects himself. And then she says to us, she's like, this is not going to work, right? We're not actually doing this. And Todd's like, why isn't it? Then uh, 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 his body starts like snapping and stuff like that. His biceps like a little green. I think he like farts and his arm goes like big, like out of proportion. And, but it's like not really like leveling whatever. And then he's like, come, yeah, come at me, bro. Then the wall smashes open. Titania busts through the wall. And she's like, surprise losers. Jen's, uh, says to us like her too it's like this isn't messy enough and nikki's like does that bitch ever use a door then hulk todd so now he's got hulk powers he goes towards jen abomination's like look out he grabs her out of the way because she's jen not she hulk she's like he grabs her right away then he yells at the crowd get her then if things weren't like crazy enough hulk bruce smashes down through the ceiling and she's like bruce and he's like hey let go of my cousin a-hole so then Hulk goes up to Abomination, starts hitting him. They start fighting. And she's like, what is even happening here? And Titania's like throwing dudes around. And then, you know, she's like, this is a mess. None of these storylines make any sense. And she's like, is this working for you? She says that to us. And then the screen kind of turns, it turns into Disney Plus menu. And at first I'm like, wait, what did I, what's going on? Then she's like, what do you think we're doing? The, the menu's not going to stop me. So then she uh, she's just going to break the inhibitor real quick. So you hear like a snap. Then she knocks out the She-Hulk thumbnail like on the menu screen. And she like looks around and she like swings and like jumps into the Marvel Assemble. Then she walks offset into the Disney lot. And it's what's cool is because I, I got to go to the Disney lot before. So you walk, you know, there's one building with like the, the seven doors kind of like holding pillars up, whatever. She goes into this door, Mark She-Hulk. It's, it's like a writer's room. This one guy says, like, what if the entirety of the second season is just one dream sequence? And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, that'd be cool. Then she, you know, she walks into the room. And she's like, what the hell, guys? She's like, what kind of stupid finale is this? They're like, uh, we thought it'd be really fun with a kind of a twist. And she's like, the bad guy steals my blood to give himself superpowers? It's like, where, where did you come up with that original idea? And they're like, mm. and she's like, was that from every other superhero story ever? One guy is uh, kind of frustrated, says, well, there are certain things that are supposed to happen in a superhero story. And she loudly puts her hands on a, on, on a big conference table and, and kind of startles him. And she hulks like, why don't we just do things our way? And a lady's like, this is a story that Kevin wants. The closed caption kind of gives something away a little bit. And she hulks like, okay, then I want to talk to Kevin. They all laugh at her. 
And she looks like confused. The lady's like, no one talks to Kevin. And the, the first she's like, Kevin's value is immeasurable. Okay. And, and he's like, I would murder you to protect Kevin. And she's like, okay, this is very creepy the way you're talking about him. It's not healthy. She's like, I'm going to go talk to Kevin, to Kevin now. She walks off <clears throat> at this elevator. She's like in a Marvel Studios floor. And there's like, you know, lobby, there's like some Iron Man suits and cases where statues and toys behind it, like the desk, whatever. She tells this receptionist dude that she's there to see Kevin. And he's like surprised. And he's like, uh, okay, can you sign a non-disclosure agreement? And I'll, I'll call to, to let, you, let them know you're here. So she signs it. And then he hits this red button and his alarm goes off. She's like, why'd you make me sign it if you're just going to do that? And he's like, well, everyone has to sign the NDA. So there's like a couple of non-threatening security like come in, try to escort her out. She like pushes the first guy aside. She starts walking down this hall. Woman jumps on her back. And then she gets a little violent with these three guys that come at her with like like batons or whatever. And she enters this other room. There's like a bunch of screens. Then this like spherical robot comes down with like kind of some light sorters, which is sort of kind of like uh, Kevin Feige's hat, but it's not a hat. Hello, Jennifer. And so he's like, She's like, Kevin? He's like, yes. Kevin stands for Knowledge Enhanced Visual Interconnectivity Nexus. So during a closed caption, Kevin's all capitals with periods. And then Kevin's like, were you expecting a man? And she's like, "Uh, yeah, why would I expect a giant AI brain and not a man? Kevin says that he will answer all her questions, but she must change back to Jennifer. And she's like, why? Kevin's like, because you are very expensive. But wait until the camera is off you. The visual effects team has moved on to another project. So he says to, he makes the decisions and possesses the most adva- adva- advanced <laughs> entertainment algorithm in the world. And it produces near perfect products. You know, some are better than others, but he leaves that debate up to the internet. Then she says that she's not happy with what's happening in her story. And he says that she does not get to choose. And she's like, well, why not? It's my ch- my show. And he's like, incorrect. It's Kevin's show. But now now it's like Kevin's like Kevin, K-E-V-I-N, like hyphens. And Jen's like, well, you know, regardless of creator ownership, can we agree that it's a legal comedy? If that is what you prefer to call it. She says then she would like to give her closing arguments. She says that the Marvel Cinematic Movies are big spectacle productions but it's often said that they end the same way and kevin's like wait who is saying that she says that perhaps this is from some unwritten rule that you have to throw a bunch of plot and flash and a whole thought you know a whole blood thing that seems super suspicious suspiciously close to super soldier serum at the audience in a climax she proposes that they don't have to do this huh then she says that it distracts from the story just as she was learning to be Jen and She-Hulk, that those are her stakes. Kevin pr- processes and asks, what ending does she propose? And she says that, can we not do to Todd get superpowers? Like the powers aren't the villain, he is. So, you know, erasing blood, blood plot. And then Todd Hulk disappears off the, the screen that shows like the, the last scene that we saw. Um, Jen's like, and Bruce swooping down from literal outer space to save the day in my story? She's like, uh-uh. So Kevin's like, but Bruce is supposed to return to explain what he was doing. And she's like, nah, 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 uh-uh. She's like, we don't need to hear any of that. Kevin's like, but we were going to introduce. Save it for the movie. Recalculation and abomination. She's like, after all that, she just wants him to hold himself accountable. So then he turns himself to meal on screen. 
And Jen says, you know, enough with this angsty nighttime. Let's do this big climax in a daylight. So then it, it, it brightens up. Are we done here? Oh, would not mind seeing Daredevil again. A woman has needs. Historically, we've been light in that area. Then she sits on, oh, you're sitting? She's like, and what's with all the daddy issues? We got Tony Stark, daddy issues. Thor, daddy issues. Loki, same dad, same issues. Star-Lord, two daddies, two issues. Jen, please stop. And when are we getting to X-Men? I cannot tell you that. She's like, okay, back to She-Hulk. She's like, I have thoughts about season two's direction. You will not be able to access the K-E-V-I-N again. She's like, what? That error on our platform has been fixed. She's like, wait, that's it? We're done? You obliterated the thrilling ending Kevin formulated. She's like, well, yeah, that's what Hulks do. We smash things. Bruce smashes buildings. I smash fourth walls and bad endings. And sometimes Matt Murdock. Kevin's like, okay, get now get back to the show. See you on the big screen. And she's like, really? No. <laughs> and she's like, oh, whatever, Kevin. And she's like, should I transform back? Or is it, what's the most budget-friendly way to do this? Then it cuts to the, like, people standing outside. Cops are driving up. She-Hulk walks up. And she's like, Todd. Titania is, like, live-streaming. OMG, guys, we're about to witness a murder. She-Hulk's like, now I'm ready to deal with you. He closes his eyes and whispers. He's like, just do it. She transforms into Jen. She's like, I'll see you in court, babe. She starts to talk. And uh, he, he, or he starts talking. And he gets taken away. Then Daredevil suddenly drops down from nowhere. He's like, Jen, I'm here to help. And she's like, hey, Daredevil, you missed it. Then they each say, um, it's like, oh, I'm ha- happy to see you. I'm glad to see you. Pug's like, oh, my God, did they hook up? Are they a thing? And Nikki's like, like, yeah, just take it down a notch, Pug. So Jen goes over to Emil, and she's like, as your counsel, if you sign this statement, you go back to prison for 10 years for parole violation. And he's like, yep, it's a karmic price I pay for my actions. Then she's like, well... Maybe you can write some haikus about it. And he's like, sarcasm? So then it cuts to there's a barbecue at Jen's parents. Matt's sitting there. The parents uh, ask about his practice. He's like, oh, yeah, it's Hell's Kitchen. And they're like, oh, that doesn't sound like you know, a good place. And he's like, well, yeah, I always wanted to help people who you know aren't fortunate to help each other. Doesn't sound like you make any money. And then Bruce uh, Hulk shows up. He's like, yeah, I know I've been away on Sakaar for a while. He's like, I'll tell you all about it. But first, I have someone here that I'd like you all to meet. And he's like, this is my son, Scar. And he like, and you see Scar. So if you know Scar from the comics, he's like another Hulk. And they actually brought him in. It's What about the whole Planet Hulk thing? Are we even going to get that? So then um, it cuts to the final scene. The reporter on some steps like She-Hulk has been cleared of her previous convictions and then a reporter tries asking She-Hulk if she can share any details about her lawsuit against Todd Phelps and Intelligentsia she's like people like Todd Phelps have to be held responsible for the actions the message we're sending is if you attack harm or harass innocent people I'm coming for you and he's like you mean in a courtroom or as a superhero and she thinks about it and she's like both oh and and can you tell us who you're wearing and she just like walks away then mid credit scene Emil's in his cell. Wong opens up a portal, and Emil's like, "Oh, it took you. you took your time." Wong apologizes, and then Emil's like, "Oh, you got sucked into another show, didn't you?" And he's like, "We're really in the era of peak TV." He's like, "Do you have all your things?" And he's like, "Yeah." Then he starts asking about accommodations at Carmartage. He's like, "Is there a fridge?" And he's like, "Oh, it's like a shared fridge or whatever." He's like, "What about Wi-Fi?" He's like, "Oh, yes, we have Wi-Fi." And then he leaves. So Wong's breaking him out of jail. 
which is illegal. And that's how it ends. Uh, okay. So, I just don't know how I feel about the whole Kevin thing. It's interesting. It's, I just, I don't know. Like I said, I don't know if, because it, it went, breaking a wall is one thing, you know, there's that. But this, I mean, really pulls She-Hulk out of the show. When she's like walking off set and, and then just changing that whole final scene and just like not even dealing with it. It's just, it's over. Okay. I mean, so, but overall, I, I, I really enjoyed the show and I would love a second season. Then we have Star Wars Andor season one, episode 57, or actually episode six, The Eye. Ugh. So this is a show where stuff happens, but it feels like nothing's happening, but it's, it is a good show. It is well done. It's so, so hard to explain. So like the the dudes are waiting, they're having a coffee. Uh, Nimic says that he couldn't sleep, and Andor is like, "Oh, that's natural." And then Nimic says that he writes when he can't sleep. So he's like, "Well, I figure Clem isn't your real name." So he's like, "The role for mercenaries in the galactic struggle for freedom." So that's that's his what he's writing. He says that con- his my conclusions are simple: weapons are tools. Those that use them are, by extension, functional assets they must use to their best advantage. The Empire has no moral boundaries, so why should they not you know, take hold of every chance that they can? So, you know, let them see how an insurgency adapts. Andor is like, well, you're half right. You know, he's like, the Emperor doesn't play by the rules. Then Nemec's like, well, how am I wrong? He's like, they don't care enough to learn. It's like, they don't have to. He's like, you mean nothing to them. Nemec says, well, perhaps they'll think differently tomorrow. He's like, be careful what you wish for. The Nemec asks Andor, he's like, you think it's hopeless? He's like, you know, freedom, independence, justice. You know, we should just submit and be thankful. You know, just take what we're given. Andor gets in his face. He whispers like, do I look thankful to you? He's like, no, but I'm glad you're here, no matter what the reason. So then this uh, officer dude says that, you know, the people on the planet are simple people. You know, talks about how they control them. He talks about, you know, give them options, but they're really choosing nothing. So their deeper problem is, is their pride. They'd rather lose or suffer than accept. So it turns out the number of people coming, the pilgrims, has dwindled. I think they started at like 500 at the bottom of the hill. Now they're like up to 60. He's like, but they might pick up some stragglers. Uh, you know, so do they know that this will be the last time they're allowed up there? So like, no. He's like, you know, why bother, them, you know, with that now? So it looks like the Imperials, I think they're going to be building something like in their sacred valley or something like that. And, uh, you know, so how will they allow them to do that without putting up a, a fuss? He's like, well, they won't have much choice. So they, they talk about the eye and it's going to be quite the celestial treat. And Lieutenant Gorn's there. He's like just, you know, listening to the conversation. Terramin checks refurbished Imperial radio and Vel answers it. So that's how they're going to talk to each other on a different channel. Terramin uh, tells them to hurry up. They're falling behind, so they're like marching. Uh, Andor comments to Skeen that he seems to like giving orders. And Skeen's like, well, it makes sense. And Andor's like, huh? And Skeen's like, they really didn't tell you, did, did they? He was a stormtrooper. He's like, really? He's like, Skeen's like, yeah, you should have been here when, when Cinta found out. It's like, they slaughtered her whole family. So Vel and Cinta are like in this rock structure. And, you know, they uncovered there's like some device like hidden in there like some machinery terramin and orskine and nemec are dressed as imperials now so they have to remember that those coming to watch hate them so it's like do not engage with them 
some Imperials start approaching the stone truck structure. So Vel gets her pistol ready. They're like, you know, squeezing against society in the shadows. The light show starts. There's like, you know, colored meteors start flying overhead, like just one and then like another one. So the the guys are marching at the rear of the, of the pilgrims. Then they get assigned to this different position as like the travelers are starting to settle in. Vel and Cinta are traveling through the water. So I guess that device thing was like supposed to be like the motorized thing that just kind of propels them through the water. Then they make it to this big like bridge dam thing, whatever. They climb up. There's this like pompous imperial dude. He's there with like his wife and kid. And they go to talk to like one of the others. The dude has uh, to one of like the, the pilgrims. So the dude has Gorn talk to him. Uh, there's like this exchange of furs as part of the ceremony or something like that. And they, they comment like how stinky like the furs or something like that. And, you know, something about exchanging the, the use for sacred land or was, I don't know. So then Vel places something like on, on the side like of a building. I don't know if it's explosive or some device. So she's kind of stalling. And then she finally is like, where go? And then they rappel down. So the pompous dude and his family are told to put their guns down. One colonel pulls a gun on Nemec and says, you know, let the boy go. And Andor's like, no one has to die. Sinta and Vel come in, and then Sinta shoots the dude. The pompous dude's like, oh, you'll never get out of here. And Tamarin, like, slaps him. Then Vel says that, you know, he'll do whatever they say. And, you know, so it's like, take us to the vault. He's like, oh, I can't open it. And he's he's like, it, I, it, it opens remotely. He's like, we can't open it from here. And she's like, we know how it works. So we need your hand for the sensor. And it's like, we could just like take it, you know, if, if you don't want to come with us. So then his wife's like, oh, just do what they say. So the device that Vel attached, I guess it scrambled electronics. So, you know, they can't, no one can radio anyone. Vel tells uh, the dude that their comms are down, but theirs still work. So if he doesn't help, his family will die. And he's like, well, you'll just kill us anyways. And she's like, no, that's what you do. If we get what we want, everyone walks. So they head down to the vault. There's like six guards on there playing cards. Terraman calls out, Commandante on the floor. Then they tell him like, okay, get down, whatever. And then so, you know, they pull out their guns. They're going to use the guys to like load up the ship. So there's like a bunch of credits inside this vault. Is what they're, that's what they're stealing. The, the, the payload or salary, whatever. So the hand sensor works. Then he says that he can't unlock the individual binds or whatever because there's these like several cylinder like type things with like holding the the credits in there. This officer up top, he he's like he notices the comms aren't working. He's like fiddling with the controls, trying to uh, figure out what's going on. Somehow he comes across their transmission. You hear like we we we're in the vault now, so he knows something's up. The pillars are outside are chanting as more and more lights are going. This dude calls Tower One. That, that a, a vault entry alarm has gone off. So Cinta's like in there, she's like, you know, I guess, I don't know if this is part of the plan or whatever, that she starts, she turns off all the power. Soldiers are sent to go down to the vault. The pilgrim leader puts out their fire. They're watching the light show and it, it looks really cool. I mean, it's really pretty with all the colors and everything like that. The pompous dude, then he hears Gorn talking and, you know, telling them that they're supposed to be leaving. Then he tells you know, he was, he shot that Gorn is part of this. He's like, you'll hang for this. And Gorn says, seven years serving you, I deserve worse than that. Then at the Alkenzi Air Command, alarms are going off. So TIE fighter pilots start like scrambling to, to get ready to, to take off. Um, the corporal 
comm guy, whatever, and the soldiers enter by the vault. What's going on here? Gorn yells, he's like, you've left your post. This is a classified mission and you're, you're not supposed to be here. So he like looks around. He sees a pompous dude, like all sweaty and tired. And then he falls over like from a heart attack or something like that because he's actually doing work for once in his life. Gunfire starts. Andor gets in the ship. This other officer gets in, grabs him from behind. Vel yells like, we're pinned down. Gorn runs over to her, but then he gets shot. Andor manages to kick the soldier to ground. Nemix is, you know, like you can see them like through the doorway. Nemix is able to shoot the guy and, and take him out. And then the others get on the freighter ship. It takes off. Nemix uh, gets hit by one of the, the carts of credits. They like, you know, like it's kind of like a big pallet thing. It like rolls and it like pins his legs. And so they, they pull it off him. He's like, I can't feel my legs. Andor's like he flies out of the lights. He's like, we need a flight path. I need to know where I'm going. Vel's uh, jabs Nemec in the chest with like a med spike. Andor's like, I need to know where I'm headed. Three Tie Fighters were launched. So only three. <laughs> Nemec is is able to look at the the vice thing, and uh, he he tells Andor. He's like, he has like this old thing. It almost looks like an old Polaroid camera. Some some old device that he mentioned before. He tells Andor. He's like, climb now. So Andor says. He's like, you know, look at the lights. He's like, he's like, and I don't have the speed. And now you want me to climb? He's like, climb. The ties are, are close, start shooting. The Nemec's like, now dive. Vector, six, five, five, one. You know, thrusters on something or whatever. This TIE fighter gets taken out by one in meters, gets hit. Then a second one gets hit, crashes into the third. Cinta is still on the ground, so she didn't make it. She didn't leave with them. Then the pilgrims, you know, stare at the lights. Like some have tears in their eyes. Nemec is out. Uh, I don't know if he's, is he dead? No, he's just passed out. Andor says that he needs to know where they're going. Skeen says Vel wants to bail on Nemec. He tells Andor that there's a doctor. They've built it into the contingency. Vel doesn't want to jeopardize the mission. And Skeen says, you know, this kid, this he's the reason we're here. And so he is alive. Andor sits and he asks, you know, how did they get to the doctor? And Vel is just kind of like fumes because she just wants to go on to the next part of the mission. This four-armed doctor is working on Skeen. And outside, Skeen asks Andor if he thinks that he'll make it. Uh, he says that you know he could get lucky. And Skeen's like, yeah, luck. It drives a whole dang galaxy, doesn't it? Then after a pause, he's like, you want to guess how much is in there? Andor doesn't say anything. Skeen's like, 80 million, give or take. He's like, what did you tell me? You, you want to win and walk away? Well, 40 million apiece? Don't tell me you haven't thought about it. He's like, you you know, I can't fly the trawler, but I have a safe place that we can hold up. Between the two of us, we could be the winner here. Andor's like, so, no rebellion for you? Skeen's like, I'm a rebel. It's just me against everyone else. Then Andor sighs, and he's like, where would that put me? Skeen's like, 40 million credits is enough for me to forget all about you. Andor scoffs. He's like, your brother with the orchard? He's like, I don't have a brother. He's like, so just leave them here? Skeen's like, don't play the, the high mind with me. You're not here to save anyone but yourself. I saw it the first minute you came up. You're just like me. We were born in the hole, and all we know is climbing over somebody else to get out. He's like, there's a moon, eight parsecs from here, with nobody home. Put that thing down, catch our breath, split up the windings, and walk. And or quick draws and shoots him, point blank. And then his breath's like trembling a little bit. So it's just like, wow. Vel's inside with the doc. Uh, then she's like, thank you for trying. So 
Andor comes in with his gun still drawn as they're covering Nemec up, so Nemec is dead. The doc puts up his hands. He's like, I did what I could. Vels looks, and she's like, oh, it's not you. Andor says that it's not what she thinks, and she's like, oh, surprise me. And he's like, he says to the doc, he's like, I'll give you 30000 for the ship in the barn. That's twice what it's worth. And the doc's like, excuse me? Vel's like, where's Skeen? And she calls Skeen, and Vander's like, he's dead. He wanted to take the money and leave you here. And she's like, he wouldn't do that. And or scoffs. He's like, you're going to have to think about that. So she calls him a disgusting bastard. And she's like, Tamarin warned her about him. Andor says that he's taking his cut, the number he was promised. He's like, I'm leaving you, the, f- the freighter, and what's inside. I did my job. I'm done. And I wouldn't stick around if I were you. He pulls out the Sky Kyber necklace that Luthen gave him. He's like, and return this to your friend. So she takes it. And she's like, wait. He still has his blaster out. She's like, Nemec's manifesto. He said to give this to you. He's like, I don't want it. And she's like, he insisted. He cautiously reaches for it, and then he leaves. So then uh, that major Partagaz guy who like leads all the officers, whatever, he he calls them all. He tells them this is not a meeting. The, that woman, Dedra, she's there. Partagaz says that no one is going home. Tell your staff. Tell your family. He wants every star sector and planetary emergency retaliation plan in the building ready for a presentation by midnight. Mon Mantha talks to the Senate. You know, Senator Dowell's proposal is both temperate and timely, far more reason and thoughtful than the calls for the decree we've been hearing from the other side. There will be a fact-finding commission put in place for the session, and it will prove that this is a boot to the Gormans who've done nothing more to request their basic rights. In the other Senate pods, people are like talking, like people are coming in, and some pe- some are like getting up to leave, so they must be hearing about what happened with the Empire money, I guess, or Imperial money. She looks at her data pad, and then she looks at the like all the people... All are like our people talking in the Senate. In the shop, Clea is like showing this necklace to a lady. Luthen's like, "Oh, there's an inscription on that in a in a language that no one remembers, and it's liberating because you can decide what what to say." Then someone like in there like says like, "Oh, do you have anything from Aldhani?" So he's just like reading or something like that. He's like, "There's a big rebel attack last night. It's all in the news." Luthen's like. I'll have to look. Maybe we have something in the back. And the man's like, really? I was just kidding. Luthen goes in the back, and then he starts laughing, and then he sighs, and he exhales, because he knows that the plan worked. So they have 80 million credits now to go towards a rebellion. And uh, how is this going to come back now with with Andor? That's going to be the interesting thing to see. You know, Is he going to read the manifesto and change his mind? We'll have to wait and see. Okay, then Werewolf by Night. So this was a just like a, a one shot short. Um, it, it was it was crazy. It was it was so good. It's all in black and white, which which is just amazing. And uh, you know, even like the Marvel, it's like Marvel Studios special presentation. So the Marvel logo gets slashed and it, tr- it turns to black and white. The the music even sounds kind of tinny, and there's like kind of like some ch- chanting. There's like electricity, lightning, whatever, epic music playing. Old school logo and graphics, like you know, as a you know, Marvel presents, you know, all this stuff. So it was really cool the way he did it because it just really felt like kind of like old school, whatever. 
and you see like a picture of the Avengers uh, narrator talks about like the known universe and its heroes, but what about the darkness? And it mentions like the Bloodstone family fights monsters. They have a supernatural relic, the Bloodstone. It's a weapon uh, like unlike any other. Ulysses Bloodstone has died. The funeral's tonight, and the stone needs a new master. So that's kind of what. Now I don't I I don't know if I should spoil this whole episode since it's just one, but I don't normally spoil the movies, and it's kind of a movie. So basically, what what this is about, all these people like walk in this big hall. Like, there's this room. There's like these paintings on the wall, like high ceilings, frame pictures, and there's like monster like heads like mounted. There's like weapons and stuff like that. So, you know, and um, so as people start coming in, then uh, this one dude tells this lady Verusa that Elsa's here. So there's this box. With has like this red light inside, and it's like actual red in the black, even, even though everything is black and white, and that's the bloodstone. So this other guy comes in and everything like that. Um, he, oh, his name is Jack, and you know he says that because someone's like, oh, I dig your look and your makeup or something. Like that. He's like, oh, it's to honor my ancestors, whatever. So basically, all these people are coming in because they they kind of want to win the right to get the bloodstone. So Elsa comes in. And so she's played by Laura Connolly, who was in The Nevers. Um, she was in Outlander. She, I, I think she's great. And so I guess she's been gone for 20 years. And so this lady's like, like, oh, you know, I hope you didn't feel obligated to come. And Elsa's like, well, just give me what's mine and, and I'll leave. And Bruce is like, what aspect of the stone are you interested in? And she's like, well, that's up to me. So the lady says, like, you know, all her training growing up. And they thought that, you know, she'd pass her father. But then she ended up emulating her mother. So the lady says that you know she was the greatest disappointment of his life, and she like walks away. So all the dudes are like seated in a circle, and then Elsa like loudly drags a, this chair over like this, you know, just to sit. So there's supposed to be this ceremonial hunt, and this coffin is like cranked open, and like it mechanically moves its hand, you know. So basically, that's what's what's his name, Bloodstones, in there, and you know he says he hopes his attendance delights him with with his passing. Now it's time to choose a new leader in a crusade against monster. So the honor can only be bestowed upon the strongest and most committed. So soon a monster unlike any other will be unleashed. And the one who gets it will get the bloodstone. Like his bloodstone. So that's that's what we saw before. And he's like, good luck. I'll be riding for you. And he like chuckles and then the coffin's closed. And Bruce says that there's only one bloodstone and it can only have one keeper. Uh, it was to be his daughter's, but after decades of absence, she has given up the right. So stone will be affixed to the monster's hide. Uh, and then one guy says that the stone is finally up for grabs, and they all earn the right to hunt it, but she gets to crash the party. And Bruce says that, well, she's welcome to join. No special treatment. So those who do not survive will be honored appropriately. So basically, they're like, you can you know, take her out if you want. So that's basically where it goes. And then... Uh, obviously jack there's there's something with him and and he's he's like a good guy and he, you know he he kind of helps Elsa out a little bit whatever but then it turns out he's a werewolf and i probably shouldn't spoil it but whatever since i normally spoil things the beast that they're hunting is a man thing and and it goes from there so then then there's fighting so what's interesting is you know we, we see elsa fighting and, and she's pretty formidable but she's not unstoppable you know, so she, you know, she does get kind of her her fares of, you know, blows against her and everything like that. But 
I would say overall, I mean, it was just there was something charming about it because it it did feel kind of I, I don't necessarily want to say low budget, but it just felt right, appropriate. You know, the the black and white, and then it just it felt old school. It felt like it was you know something from the fifties or sixties, and so it was just it was just I was really surprised because I'm not a big werewolf by night fan. And when I heard this was happening, I was like, are you serious? The only reason I cared about Werewolf by Night is because of Moon Knight's involvement with it. And if you go back and read that issue, those issues, it's kind of weird. And even though they, they tried to explain it, but there, there's just something about, I mean, it, they, they just did a really good job. So I, I really enjoyed it. And I don't know how it would feel, you know, would I want to see more? It, it depends on, because it just really worked in black and white. And it just, it, it, it just, yeah, I don't know how it would be seeing more. So like, if it was a series, I feel like it would kind of lose some of its charm. Cause I don't think you could do the whole thing in black and white. I mean, you could, but it would just be kind of weird. And, you know, supposedly this is going to open a new door in the Marvel cinematic universe. You're going to see different things. So we'll have to see what, what results from this, but obviously, I mean, it'd be cool to see Elsa again. You know, maybe it would make more sense if we ever see Blade. You know, that would be along, you know, similar whatever. So, yeah, who knows? We'll, we'll have to see where this goes. But I'm really glad they, they made this. And and I, I think, it was, I don't know if I finished what I said before. But when I first heard about this, I was just like, why why are you making this? Are you serious? And I wasn't sure if it had anything to do more with, like, the, the newer Werewolf by Night comic that they tried doing that I only read a couple of issues and it just didn't work for me. So, I don't know. But it, it was really good so if you have disney plus you should definitely check it out and i hope we see more elsa somewhere i don't know where we could see her but i hope we see more all right then the main movie feature halloween ends (laughs) man oh man i okay i wasn't crazy about this movie it's just it's crazy i i don't even know where to begin with this so I, I kind of was tempted. I wanted to watch the the other two before. So, you know, we had uh, the 2018 movie. Then we had, you know, Halloween Kills. And it's just the, the last movie was kind of a mess. You know, with the whole mob mentality, you know, all gathering, going down the streets, searching for Michael Myers. But my my whole thing, which, which I, I feel like takes away from the, this Halloween franchise in the first movie, I think, if I remember correctly, I think Michael Myers only kills like five people, unless there's anyone at the hospital or whatever. But he he kills those people, then at the end, he gets arrested. This version, this direction, acts as if no other movies after the original Halloween happened. So even though Jamie Lee Curtis, you know, Halloween 2, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis was there, the Loomis was, you know, all that stuff, everything that happened after that, none of that ever happened. So Michael Myers has been locked up for four years. He killed he killed his sister as a kid. He killed five babysitters, five teenagers. Yeah, that's that's horrible. But he's not this like unstoppable monster that keeps getting defeated and coming back and keeps killing and killing and killing like this unstoppable evil force. So that just kind of it's just weird how it's just like such a huge impact. And again, yeah, losing five kids in a community is horrific, but. And and then Jamie Lee Curtis spends forty years of her life like training like how to 
shoot guns and make traps and just survival stuff because she's so certain he's going to escape. Why would you even think that if he's never escaped before? If it was, you know, if he escaped like in the other movies, then yeah, I could see being a little more paranoid, but he's been locked up. So I don't know. Now, what's interesting about, about this movie, it, well, it, it just, it feels like we had different movies thrown together and I'm I'm a little confused with some of the decisions they made, and I, I almost feel like if I was more ambitious, or whatever, I would look into like you know who wrote the three movies, who directed, you know, is there any connection? Because it, it almost feels like someone else just like took over with this. It starts off in 2019. There's this kid. He's babysitting this 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 boy, and um, so there's gonna be some spoilers. The, the the parents are it's weird like the kid doesn't want to go trick-or-treating or there's something because I, I guess he has some nightmares about michael myers and, and stuff like that so they're staying inside you know she doesn't want him having more candy no scary movies or whatever like that but then they end up watching like this pretty gruesome movie and then uh, uh cory the, the babysitter He's like, we should play hide and seek, and he's like, I don't want to play hide and seek. And he's like, he's like, you're just a loser. It's like they they got along, but then the kid kind of got wicked on him. So then something happens. I don't know if, if there's oh, I think there's a, a crash or noise. So Corey gets up when he comes back to the room. The kid's gone. So he's like looking for him. Then you hear him laughing. He ends up going to. I mean, this is like a big like fancy house. He ends up going in this attic, and he he thinks the kid's in there. The door closes. He's locked in there. And then he kind of starts freaking out. He's like, okay, let me out. And then he's, he's like, you're going to get in trouble, whatever. Parents come home at this time. He's supposed to be in bed already. He's supposed to be in bed at like 8.30. So Corey starts like kicking at the door, kicking at the door or whatever. And finally, the parents walk in and you hear, Corey, I'm going to kill you. Or not Corey, Jeremy, I'm going to kill you. And then kicks the door open. Jeremy must have been standing outside the door right by the railing. So the door opening knocks him off the railing he falls like three floors whatever splat broken neck splattered blood and then uh, oh because the other thing Corey was like cutting like some bread like banana bread or something like that there is a knife what what i like about it is they purposely showed a knife you know like okay next time we come in here that knife's gonna be gone next time we're in the kitchen that knife is gone so the kid must have grabbed it because then uh Corey finds it on the stairs, so he takes it with him. So as he's looking over the railing, he's like holding a knife in his hand. The, the mom looks up. She's like, what did you do? And so they think he's he's his killer. Three years later, he, he gets let out because it was an accident. But then, of course, people think he's his child killer or whatever like that. And then what's weird... <laughs> so one thing, you know, he's... He doesn't really talk to anyone, Corey. You know, obviously, you know, there's he's got uh, social issues or whatever. At one point, he goes to like a gas station or convenience store or whatever, and these this other car pulls up with these four. They're like band kids, like in marching band or something like that. Because one kid has like drums and you know they got the uniform or whatever. They're seniors. They want uh, Corey to buy them some beer, and he's like, no. And they're like, oh, come on, or whatever, like that. And then, then they like shove him, whatever, because they're like, oh, you're that that guy that, that killed the, the you're the, the kid killer, you're a pedo, and you know all this stuff like that. They like shove, or he starts getting mad. He like smash. He's he's drinking chocolate milk too. 
he like squeezes the bottle and it like breaks. So there's like you know some his hands a little little bloody. But then when they shove him, he falls and he gets like this big chunk of glass in his hand. All this stuff. Whatever. And Jamie Lee Curtis comes. Up. She's like, "Hey, what are you guys doing?" Whatever. And they're like, "Oh, psycho and the freak and whatever." So these kids are so stupid. He can't even stand up to these band kids. No offense to anyone in the band. So Jamie Lee Curtis takes him to the hospital where her granddaughter works because you know she's a nurse there. It's like she's trying to set them up, and then as throughout the movie, it's like or like right after that, it's, they somehow there's some connection, and it's like even though they hardly even talk while she's taking a glass out of his hand, she like falls in love with him, or there's like this crazy. It's like where did this come from? I don't think they knew each other. I don't understand how this this where this came from, and then stuff goes on. Like something starts happening to the Corey, and and it's like, wait, where's Michael Myers during all this? Because you know, all this time has passed. He's been hiding out in in the sewer, and he's like kind of like weak and everything like that. And then finally, when he kills someone or someone dies, he he does kill someone. Does that somehow empower him, like rejuvenate him? Because then he's like standing tall and he's like not holding his side, and he doesn't kill Corey because. You know they they lock eyes, so, so I guess somehow Michael could sense, can see in his eyes that he killed this kid, even though it was an accident, and he like lets him go, and then Corey like I don't know if Corey starts having split personality because it's like wait what what are you doing and I just I don't don't understand that I guess something is just going on. oh and then Lori later then she's like forbidding her granddaughter to to date Corey, and she's like you're the one that like put brought us together and i just it's just i i don't understand and it just kind of goes from there and it just it was it was just a mess <laughs> and this other part that cracks me up so at, at one point this is like the worst movie review ever so Lori's granddaughter was supposed to get this promotion, you know, to be like a shift, you know, nurse or what, you know, something like that. She ends up not getting it because the doctor in charge is like this creepy dude. And like, you know, Corey had commented on her or something like that. And uh, so this, this other nurse gets the promotion because I guess she's willing to do whatever it takes type of thing. So at one point they, they, they go back to his place and you know he got, he got brought out this big fancy champagne or whatever like that, and then she's gonna go freshen up, and there's like this robe for her or something like that, and then she hears something, and she's like, Doctor Matthews, Doctor Matthews, I, I think it was Matthews, I forget what his name was, it was something like that. But the fact is, okay, they're about to sleep together, and she's not even calling him by his first name. It so this whole like is like this sexist subplot where. You know, she's just getting a promotion because he's a scuzzy guy and she's willing to sleep her way to the top. And it just, it's like something out of like a movie from the 80s. You know, you wouldn't really see this. It's just, and yeah, I don't know. It was just, it was just, it was just weird. And I, I really like the Halloween movies. I, I remember seeing the first one as a kid at my friend's house down the street on HBO you know, my, my parents had no idea I watched it. And, you know, so I've seen almost all the Halloween movies. And, you know, some of them are not good at all. But, man, I just, I don't understand. The the last two movies, you know, la- the first one was good. 
The second one, not bad. You know, there's some things that the whole Anthony Michael Hall subplot, gathering the mob and all that was just kind of crazy. But this movie, I, I just I don't understand this whole Corey. I, I don't know where this is coming from. And the fact, why would Michael Myers want like a disciple? Is he going to be the next generation? He's not. I'll tell you that. It's just, I, I, I don't understand where, what was going on here. On Rotten Tomatoes, it's at a 39%. That's the, the critic score. The audience score is at a 59%. So that is, it's not good. Oh, and uh, the, the whole reason I bring up the band kids. So Corey couldn't even stand up to these these dorky kids. And at one point when he's having dinner with Allison, I think that was her name, her ex is like this cop. You know, he's like totally ignoring the fact that she's there with a the dude or whatever like that. And then at one point, you know, Corey stands up, like gets into his face and everything like that. It's like, okay, you couldn't even take on these kids. He gets thrown off a bridge by these kids and he wants to, he thinks he can take out a cop and yeah the, the cop's a little overweight which is like him dating allison just didn't doesn't even make sense not that i guess it matters but it's just like you couldn't even take on you couldn't even deal with a the kid they they beat you up and you're gonna take on a cop who's at a table with several other cops because it's someone's birthday uh, I just I, I'm I'm so confused at this movie. I, in my opinion, again, if you like the movie, that is fine. It, but in my opinion, this it just felt like it was just it was just a mess, and it just it doesn't feel like it's on the same level as the other ones. And I just don't understand what's what's going on here. Um, let's see, critical response. Um, so Chicago sometimes 1.5 out of 4 stars, writing that the so-called finale to Michael Myers saga is just stabbing metaphors, stabbing soap opera, stabbing marching band bullies, stabbing and more stabbing. Um, from Variety, the film is neither scary nor fun. It's the most joylessly metaphor forical and convoluted entry in the franchise to date empire gave it a negative review calling the film lost up to its own abyss and an unsatisfying closing chapter the hollywood reporter says that the film's a sloppy movie whose principal new inspiration feels bogus although horror fans might enjoy homages to other films from the carpenter canon um giving 1.5 out of 4 uh, RobertGerEbert.com found it poorly executed, rushed, and barely a Halloween movie due to the focus, the story's focus on a new, on newly introduced characters, and considered Rowan Campbell's performance especially lacking. Yeah, it's just, I, I just, I, I'm just so confused, and I, I'm so, so let down because I was looking forward to it. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm bummed out now. This is how we're gonna end the show. It's, it's a bummer. How uh, good! Thank goodness Halloween ends for now, <laughs> and and this podcast ends for now. <laughs> so that's it. I I'm I'm so I can't go on. I can't say anything else. I'm just so so, so bummed out, so disappointed. I I'm so confused. <laughs> I don't understand. And maybe I need to watch it again. I don't know if I could do that to myself. <laughs> but that that was it. So that's all I got to say about Halloween ends. 
And that's all I got to say about anything else because that's been the show. Big thanks to Dave and Phil and Andrew Loken. They are big supporters of the show. You can be a supporter and be awesome by going to patreon.com slash gman from heck. Any amount you can commit to will be awesome. If you commit at the Rick Jones tier or higher, you get access to the secret podcast from heck, which is an additional 30 minutes of podcast entertainment every single week. Currently doing Batman stories from the 60s. So weird, crazy. But I, I'm going to do another one. Uh, sometimes I do movies. Sometimes I do off my mind topics. So you can check that out. But if you can't commit to monthly commitment, you can also help out by going to coffee.com slash gman from heck. And you can buy me a virtual cup of coffee or three. And that is ko-fi.com slash gman from heck. All right. So next week, there will not be Rick and Morty. There will not be a She-Hulk. Um, there will not be a werewolf by night. I'm trying to think if there's something else that, that will start up. Uh, maybe not. The movie feature will be Black Adam. And I think uh, early reviews are fairly positive. So we'll, we'll see. I, I'm a little little skeptical. I, I love Dwayne Johnson. I don't know how I feel about him as Black Adam. So maybe I'll be convinced otherwise. I did hear that, um, what's his name playing? Hawkman who I, I got to talk to at, at San Diego because he also voiced Jon Stewart in the animated movie, Green Lantern movie, which you should watch. He's supposed to be good as Hawkman as well. So we will talk about that next week. So I hope you are doing well. Hope uh, If you're planning on your own Halloween, hope you're, you got your costume ready because that's uh, getting really close. So I hope you're doing well. hope you're having fun. hope you're taking care of yourself. And I hope you remember to be good to each other. 